So you're in Phuket to uh, find yourself. Why would you say that? You're an American. สวัสดีครับคุณอัชลาสวัสดีค่ะตามสัญญานะครับขอบคุณค่ะคุณอะไรสวัสดีค่ะสวัสดีครับPodcast here on Posha Recaps, but Mike, do we have to go back? It's stranger in a strange land. Uh, Josh, I'm so happy that we were able to lost, launch the Posha Recaps Patreon because now we can say to everyone who is listening and has not become a patron <laughs> yet, you listen among us, yet you are not one of us. Yeah, I wonder if there is a if we should have thought about a tier uh, in the Patreon program where you can skip. Stranger in a Strange Land, where like you can get like Men in Black memory wiped. That Stranger in a Strange Land exists. I'm sure that a lot of people yeah. would love that. We'll put them in room 23, just sear their mm-hmm. mind with weird brazen imagery <laughs> to make them somehow forget <laughs> that season three episode of nine ever lost ever exists. It's like a the number thir- the 13th floor on any sort of skyscraper, right? It doesn't exist for pure superstitious purposes. Oh well, let me tell you that season three episode nine of Lost, Stranger in a Strange Land, in which Jack. Shepard goes to Thailand to get his tattoos very much exists. This is an episode of television. It is real. It happened. And it's happening right now here on Down the Hatch. We're getting into Stranger in a Strange Land. We've reached it. We've made it, Mike. So was this technically like a landmark? A road marker that was... Pro- I think so. I mean, I guess I think, I, so. I think it's less so a landmark you see on a billboard and more like a semi-truck that was turned over mm-hmm. on the highway that has the flares up that you sort of drive by. Like, huh, that's something to gawk at for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Stranger in a Strange Land. Here we are. And uh, as we are uh, want to do around these parts on Down the Hatch, we rank each episode, of course, from a scale of 0 to 4.2. And uh, we typically uh, get into that at the very end of the podcast. Uh, I really I just want to give a little bit of a highlight here of some of the scores this episode has received. A 1.1, 1. 1, uh, a 1, 1.5, a 0. A flat zero. Uh, this is this is this is considered by a great many people to be the worst episode of Lost, Stranger in a Strange Land. So, is this a benchmark? Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. This is a landmark. We have arrived at what is the consensus pick of worst episode of all of Lost. Mike Bloom, my score starts at a three. <sighs> 
<laughs> you evil, evil man. This is it's a- October, and this is my October surprise. Oh, wait, it's October? Nobody it, told me. That's right, Count Jackula. This is how Count- I got my tattoo. Mm-hmm. That's right, Count Jackula. Josh Wiggler is starting by giving Stranger in a Strange Land a three, and Mike. It's going to be your job to convince me otherwise, and it's going to be my job to convince you why I've landed where I've landed. You're such a freaking troll. (laughs) (laughs) I swear to God that there is logic behind this for me. Okay, okay. (laughs) I swear to God, whether or not it's like real or bullshit logic, I swear I have a line of thinking behind it. And whether or not I, I have sold myself on the line of thinking, whether or not you can uh, convince me to ask for a refund <laughs> <laughs> on what I fought with giving Stranger in a Strange Land a three, um, that will come out of the conversation. I'm very open to moving it lower. I am I am completely closed off to moving it any higher, uh, thankfully. Um, you hit but your I, ceiling at this point. You're bumping up against it like you took freaking fizzy lifting drink and you mm-hmm. have floated onto the ceiling at this point. Josh, I'm going to make you let out some big old burps this episode to bring you back yeah. down to reality. And, and and what I'll also say is um, no matter what I do, Charlie, you're going to die. <laughs> uh, no matter what I do, Mike, um, with my three... And I believe you're at 1.4. Right now, yeah. Though that can also, that's my ceiling right now. And depending on how much we talk about this, that could lie a bit further. Though I do think my score is more representative of how I think the general listenership yes. has, has oh, is sort of resonating around. Absolutely. You are much closer to the consensus than, than I am. Um, but where we currently are is if you talk me down from a three, we have the opportunity to make Stranger in a Strange Land the bottom-ranked episode of Lost on our list. But as it currently stands, even with the scores in place, Fire Plus Water is the is the lowest-ranked episode of Down the Hatch. Um, it's, it's a 1.98 for Stranger in a Strange Land versus a 1.871 for Fire Plus Water. So the debate to have today is, is Stranger in a Strange Land the worst episode of Lost, or is there value here? Um, uh, I am arguing there is value here but, for sure. But this is so tough. You've tied my hands. You basically put the jack handcuffs on me because here's my thing. I don't think this is the worst episode of Lost. I think Fire Plus Water, I th- like Fire Plus Water less than Stranger in a Strange Land. Great, but, then we're agreed. Right, but also, I can't, I don't want to talk you down from the three because that's ridiculous, but then in doing so, this falls beneath it and defies my own logic. So now I am truly at a moral quandary here. What is it, the Kobayashi Maru or whatever? Yeah, the Kobayashi uh, Mari Takahashi, I believe it's mm-hmm. called. Yeah, so that's where we're at. Uh, see if you can, can you solve this right, problem? I'll have to pull like, a Captain Kirk and cheat and just really like tweak with other people's just, scores to bring it down. I just, I think this is a spicy way to introduce the podcast this week that we've got something to, Ooh, to spice, spicy as a nice bowl of pho from Chet's restaurant. And yes, his name is Chet. And that's just one of the many decisions that was made wrong with this episode. No, can we, can we chew through this episode? Can we, uh, where are we going to come out on this? This is obviously a very hot take coming into this one. 
one uh, that, that, that the Jack's Tattoos episode is not only not the worst episode of Lost, in my opinion, but that it's above several other episodes of Lost for me. So I, I would like to tell you why I got there. Uh, I'd like to talk through that by going scene by scene in our normal protocol. Uh, and then uh, we'll we'll see where we where we land with all of it. Mike, uh, you said up top something that I was certainly going to, to speak about Feature here. to the punch. We haven't mentioned it on Down the Hatch yet, but Post Show Recaps is on Patreon. Woo! We have just launched a Patreon program for Post Show Recaps. Patrons of Post Show Recaps, that is no longer a joke. It's a thing. It's real. <laughs> it's happening. And it is something that you can get involved in. If you go to postshowrecaps.com slash patron or slash Patreon, you can also just go directly to patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. Find out more about becoming a patron of Post Show Recaps. Some of the benefits of that include getting an exclusive patron-only podcast feed where we're going to have random one-offs in there um but the flagship show is going to be a weekly movie club hosted by myself uh, my great wife emily fox is joining me on that podcast we're going to have special guests along all the way and it's an interactive selection process for each movie of the week uh so that's going to be a really really fun ride that is at every level that you sign up you get access to that feed and then there are additional perks if you want to sign up at higher levels including a discord page which is basically if you don't know what discord is it's like a giant sprawling chat room where you can interact with other members of the community mm-hmm. you can interact directly with mike and i we're in there we're talking yeah. to people you can move um, you can move from twitter onto discord and yelling at us and telling us how wrong <laughs> we are about things <laughs> but we're not wrong about anything especially not uh stranger in a strange land. Uh, so check that out. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. Nothing is changing front facing on post show recaps. Down the hatch is free. It will be free. Uh, there may be additional lost relate- related stuff um, mm-hmm. that is a bonus perk for people who sign up for yeah, the Patreon. I, I could imagine that maybe if we choose to do so, uh, the inevitable island tour of your Lost 2 island could possibly be up there as a perk. <laughs> we'll see. Who knows? Um, but yeah, that's 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 it's just a way to support the show. Uh, it's a way to, to help fund the podcast keep it going keep it growing make sure that shows like this one are possible make it so that the you know like the jokes about a fringe binge or a community rewatch or whatever uh that those things may become possible someday oh my god you know know, with that name i feel like fringe binge has officially now become a thing no matter when it's coming you know, we, we want to do this stuff, but we live in a reality where like we need the funding to do it. Um, and so that's where people who are supporting post show recaps via the Patreon program. That's really what you're doing is you're, you're keeping the main podcast alive and thriving. Uh, and anyone who is able to spare, you know, that's a $5 monthly commitment on the low end. Anyone who is able to do that, um, we just cannot even begin to express our gratitude for that considering the time we live in uh, that you would choose to donate any amount of money uh, Mm -hmm. to this cause uh, of creating this ridiculous podcast uh, where we talk about nonsense uh, as hopefully a way of you know getting you through your day Uh, hopefully it's something you look forward to hopefully it's something that keeps you entertained keeps you occupied keeps your mind off of some of the other difficulties that we're all experiencing um, in our own ways and then in our highly specific ways in this thing we call life and 2020 and beyond right now. Um, so if you're able to support us, that's incredible. If you're not totally understood, we're still going to be here. We're still going to be pumping out podcasts. Yeah, we're going to be here and maybe we'll have more stuff to put out in the meantime. But 
to echo what Josh said, uh, rest in peace. We have, we are <laughs> oh, eternally grateful to those of you that have already jumped on board. We have already passed the lost numbers, Josh. Uh, we are already passed the 108 root marker, which is really, really. Are we, are we past 108 as of this recording? Uh, I actually, let's see. Maybe, maybe we'll hit it we're while we're recording in. right now. Yeah. yeah, I think we're closing in on it. Oh my God. So there's a, there's a chance while recording. We are, we are, we are four patrons away oh, from 108 patrons. So we'll check back in, uh, by the end of this podcast to see if that number changed at all. If, I mean, listen, we have to hit 108 by, while recording our lost podcast, right? And like, while recording the stranger in a strange <laughs> land podcast, Mike. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Yeah, this is kismic. sort of like a, it's a weird thing to be like, hey, let's celebrate this. It's like, I don't know, like uh, celebrating a graduation <laughs> at like, I don't know, the alley behind in the dumpster behind Shakey's, yeah, you know? The, the spread is like the the half-eaten, disposed of burgers and fries yeah, left like in the, the dumpster. Definitely not grilled cheese. It's all untoasted cheese sandwiches. Untoasted cheese sandwiches that have been festering for <laughs> <laughs> but Mike, let's just get into let's it. Let's get into okay? it. Like, I'm so excited to get this, into this. This is this is a this is an historic episode of Lost. The, um, immediately mm-hmm. for me, you know, one of the qualifiers for why I am I am rating this episode where I'm rating it right now, uh, a piece of it because there are components to the 3.0. A piece of it is history. This is the episode that Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse point at when they go to ABC and they say, you've got to let us end the show. Look at what we're doing. Do you see what we have done? Do you see what we have done? And there is something that I really love about Lost where it's not just like the like the internal qualities of the show. It's the external. It's the community this show built. It's the fact that here we are 10 years past the finale now at this point, Mm -hmm. still talking about this show. And it's the it's the ways in which lost itself often responded to itself when it listened to the show and responded to the show accordingly. A great example that's like become a celebrated example, even if it's still a controversial example, is Expose. Mm -hmm. Expose responds to Nikki and Paolo by burying them alive. Stranger in a Strange Land is so clearly not what Lost wants to be doing with its time that they point to this episode, Damon and Carlton, and say, this is the quality of Lost that you can expect if you do not let us build towards an ending. And they succeed. It is important. It is historic. If only for that reason. And it is not only for that reason. But that reason is there. I mean, it certainly serves as a piece of lost history. I will give you that. Uh, I guess it depends on, like, do you take the absolute value of fame and infamy and say, okay, that that means significance? Because, I mean... It's a component. That's why I say it's a component. It is part of this puzzle. It's part of the the pieces on the board. It's a piece. I mean, I would say so as well. But, like, if you're a soccer player and you break your leg and then you go on to have a different career, you're not like, well, my God, when I broke my leg in three places, that was certainly a 3.0 experience. Uh, You know, I think think you have to qualify the significance with either positive or negative. Uh, I do, to your point, admire, and we, we cannot say this enough, that... I think as much 
uh, retroactive history might be thrust upon those first six episodes in the fall as, okay, this was when they decided to end the show. No, no, no. It has become very clear in the years since that this was the episode that Damon and Carlton essentially displayed to ABC saying, we are not only scraping the bottom of the barrel, we are poking through the bottom of yeah. the barrel into the ground right now. We're coming up with stories based off of tattoos that our actors came out, came into the show with. Yeah. Just coming yeah. up with things on the fly. This isn't working. We need to find a way to land this plane because we have been circling and we have been radioing right now. You are air traffic control. Let's land this thing. Yes. Notch it as a component. Put a pin in it. The history quality of it. That is not what's getting us to a 3.0. It's getting us out of the zeros. Okay. okay. So, we're, so that's so, one. So, <laughs> so we're starting there. You know, if we're starting at a zero, this gets me into the ones. You know, a point for history at the very least. That's what I'm saying with this. It's a historic episode of Lost. One point for history. That's where we are on our journey towards the 3.0 from right, Josh. This is the rubric. This is the pie chart right now where a nice 33.33 <laughs> repeating percent is the historical value it's of Stranger in a Strange Land. historic value of Stranger in a Strange Land. Um, all right. So it's directed by Paris Barclay, who's actually a prolific uh, television director uh, who uh, has directed a, a great many things. Uh, you, um, you wouldn't see that in this episode. <laughs> Elizabeth Sarnoff and Christina M. Kim co-wrote this episode. Elizabeth Sarnoff is going to go on to collaborate with Damon Lindelof on a bunch of things and is uh, very prolific in the television space as well. Um, aired February 21st, 2007, and it is the seventh flashback episode for one Jack Shepard and clearly taking place after the events of the flashback from A Tale of Two Cities. I will also say uh, that we forgot to mention this last week. Last week, Flashes Before Your Eyes aired on Valentine's Day 2007, which for all the Desmond Penny shippers out there was a tough episode for them, but very pertinent. Yeah, but it was nice, right? You know, to a certain uh, extent. <laughs> you know, you get to see Desmond and Penny again, so like that's good. But yeah, otherwise it's like, ooh, it's a yeah, little just forget about like their last scene together of the episode, and it's a pretty nice Desmond Penny episode, all things considered. All right, let's go into the jungle. Let's go forth into the jungle, and let us begin with the first thing you hear in the episode. Show me the way to go. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. All right, so let's stop there because right, Kate told us to. Uh, so, but the next thing that she says is, "We have to go back." <laughs> after she says, "Stop," we have to go back. See this episode; it's all set up, Mike. They already know where they want to go with the show. I'm kidding. It's a joke. It's a bit, <laughs> Craig. It's a bit. <laughs> It's a bit. It's a joke, Mike. It's a joke. Yeah, it's 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 Relax. a fu- it's a funny haha in retrospect, right? That Relax. she says this when Jack's going to tell her this in through the looking glass. Uh, Sawyer singing. This is the second time we've heard him sing on the water. Maybe Kate would have not had him stop if maybe he sang a little bit of Marley. Though I don't know how more appreciative of him uh, she is than Michael. I also think it's, it's a fun little Jaws reference, right? Isn't that what they uh, they sing on the boat when they go? Is that right? I think they sing "Show Me the Way to Go Home," which. Which makes sense because Sawyer knows this water is apparently teeming with sharks. This is his second time. He's like, man, I can think back to another really critically reviled episode of Lost where I was at sea. Why does this keep happening to me? Um, you know what? So you you just said something to me that I did not know. 
Uh, I was not aware of the Jaws connection in here. But I, I think that one of the things that – should that be true? And I, I expect that that is correct. And yeah, a quick Google search bears that out. I've only seen Jaws the one time. Um, so I don't – I don't have a I don't have a deep memory de- deep recall for Jaws. Um that speaks to one of the things about this episode. I think that this episode to me is actually truer to character and with a, a longer memory of itself as a show than it's given credit for. Um that is that is a thoughtful thing. Uh that this is a a, a song that is being sung that is clearly lifted from a shark movie as they're as they're on a boat in shark-infested water. There is a level of care here that does exist. Whether or not the execution is going <laughs> to live up to your standards, I think the intent behind this episode, at the very least, remains pure. As pure as can possibly be. That's a good Easter egg. I didn't even know about that one. Is it, is it an execution, or is it just a branding? Did we downgrade it yet? <laughs> Depends. We haven't uh, gotten an official word from from Ben. Although the Ben behind the curtain gives this one a flat zero. Yeah, so he's, we're, we're, we're doxing yeah. him right now. I mean, well, no, he and I don't think he would mind. Uh, and I'm speaking directly to Ben right now. Like, Ben, like you are the type of person that I'm trying to at least convince that this episode merits more than a flat zero. I think that this episode absolutely merits more than a flat zero. Going as high as a three is actually crazy. It's actually (laughs) crazy and ridiculous and stupid, probably. um, But it it does not deserve a flat zero. And I just want to see what I can do to at least maybe like boost the reputation of this episode. Just a smidge. Just just a smidge. We're not having this cross the finish line anytime soon, but we are moving it maybe an inch down the racetrack. I mean, this is an interesting I, I will agree that I think one of the reasons why I do like this episode a smidge more than something like Fire Plus Water is that I feel like this episode doesn't necessarily try to commit character assassination in a way that Fire Plus Water does so vociferously. You know, and, and I say that, you know, on one side of my mouth, on the other side of my mouth, we get, you know, Kate being stubborn AF, of, despite the fact that Jack has this tearful goodbye to her over the walkie-talkie. To your point, the very first thing she wants to do in the episode is say, all right, time to turn the boat back around and go get Jack. I don't care what he says. I'm going to get him. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about why she does that later on in the episode, because I think it resonates with where the show is ultimately going. Uh, I think that the stuff with Sawyer and Kate in this episode is like not everybody's favorite, and it's certainly not the best material for either character overall over the course of the series uh, or anywhere even close to that orbit. But I, I think that the stuff that happens with them in this episode uh, hovers around who they are ultimately in the balance of Lost. Um, so we'll, let's put a pin in that too. Uh, but Sawyer's basically saying, yeah, Captain Bunny Killer is going to kill us if he catches us. Or Carl's the one who's like, yeah, he'll kill you. He'll kill you. <laughs> you know, in between his ramblings of stuff he saw on the screen for a sustained yeah. portion of time. Yeah. Uh, and Sawyer says, I'm sorry, but Jack is on his own, which leads us to... Uh, uh, Jack in the streets of France with a little mm-hmm. page boy cap and a big brown coat, going back it's to weird. our lame Miz lost examples, lost Miz. Yeah, it's weird how... Uh, I mean, for many ways, this episode for Jack is about the lovely ladies. Uh, so for, <laughs> oh, no. for, for Jack, it's a globetrotting adventure. No, he is uh, back in uh, the shark compound on Hydra Island. He's going to get a visit from uh, a man who is kind of prolific in this episode. Uh, Mr. Tom Friendly is going to show up. And I want to... We're not going to play the full scene, but I want to play a decent amount of it because it's going to speak to another point that I have about Stranger in a Strange, strange Land. Time to get up. We're moving you. Moving me where? Someplace else, Jack. Why? 
this is it, huh? It? You just helped me save his life. If you're going to kill me, please at least show me the respect of not calling it moving. Now, why would we kill you? Because you're done with me. What kind of people do you think we are, Jack? Oh, I don't know, Tom. The kind of people that would take a pregnant woman, would hang Charlie from a tree, would drag our people out of the jungle, would kidnap children. That's the kind of people I think you are. To be fair, a lot of that was Ethan, which definitely went against <laughs> Ben's orders. No, I mean, I think that this episode portrays a very ugly look at the others, right? Um, I know people hate Isabel, the character. Uh, like, why does that character exist? Why would you have, like, the stupid sheriff of Nottingham showing up here <laughs> on, on Lost, like this, you know, B-grade Star Trek bad guy? I don't know if the if the character, like, she looks like she's straight out of Star Trek, yeah, right? Like, she, well, she looks like either that or, like, from the Nova Corps, from, uh, from the Guardians of the Galaxy yeah, series like, with it, her dress. It, just, it, it feels weird, it feels alien, it feels wrong. It doesn't feel particularly lost. Um, but I think when you think about, like, what the others are, and what they what they become and what they could be is so contingent on leadership. And the person at the top of the pole here is Ben, who is is saying he's getting his marching orders from Jacob. But is he really? He's never seen Jacob before. He's getting advice from Richard Alpert. But Jacob is probably telling Richard Alpert, like, yeah, whatever Ben wants to do, he's in charge. You know, let him do. We want people to just like kind of do their thing. They're taking their marching orders from a bad person. From the kind of person that would, um, you know, keep a woman on the island totally against her will because she's his, right? Like somebody who is like an actively very bad person, the kind of person who would institute a level of justice that involves branding people, the kind of person who would like execute his own people should it, should the need arise, the kind of person who would command take a pregnant woman, uh, kidnap people, drag people into the jungle. A lot of that is Ethan's stuff. But Ethan learned at the knee of Benjamin Linus. One of the things that I really like about this episode is that this is an unflattering look at the others. And there are complicated views of the others throughout season three. You have to do some like inner work on like reconciling where do you land with the others. And I think right now, um, this is an important reminder of like they're at the beck and call of a bad dude. Ben can be a character that you love very much as a character, but he's a problematic guy at the very, very best. So problematic that even he knows he can't leave purgatory yet by the end of the show. Um, so there's that piece of it. And I'll, you know, uh, I'll say one more quick piece is that I think that this is an episode that is rich with dialogue i think that there are some some dialogue exchanges in this episode between characters and performances that are actually really really great matthew fox in that scene can't tell me he's not excellent uh him talking about with like the bitterness the caustic quality in him of having just saved the life of another like almost like uh like sick with himself for having gone through with that knowing that kate and sawyer are gone wondering if they're okay believing hoping that they are uh and then knowing that he's being marched to his death or at least that's what he thinks and he's just weary as hell about it that even in that final moment and when he's getting punched and punched and punched he's still gonna stand back up jack shepherd style another example of this being really true to character i mean first what i would say to that is while i do agree that there are good performances here you almost have to do that on a curve right like i can't think of many episodes that we've talked about where the performances themselves were not good and that's the benefit of just having a very good cast there are sometimes when like you get an eddie 
in further instructions where it's like, yeah, that's a bad acting. But I think we, I can count on one hand, honestly, the number of times you and I have said, like, wow, that was not very well acted. So while I do agree, I can't necessarily say, oh, that makes it a, a good episode of Lost because that would then make every episode a good episode of Lost and sort of wipe well, the slate clean. And I guess that that's my argument is that every episode of Lost to some degree in some categories is a good episode of Lost because it's better than almost anything, you know? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's certainly like my personal biased right. uh, opinion. But, but, but that and, also depends on your looking at the scale, though, because then if you're saying course. like, if this is 0 to 4.2 on an episode of TV, then yeah, a 3 rating might make sense. If you're looking at 0 to 4.2 as an episode of Lost, again, that's a completely different mm-hmm. kettle of, of Dharma Sharks there. I do agree with your point that I think this episode interestingly paints the others because it is such a gray, murky picture. Like, to see the first opening shot of the season as, like, this very suburban, homely lifestyle compared to the people we saw dressed up in rags and fake beards starting at the end of season one is such a stark contrast. And I do love, you know, you cut off that clip, but right after that, after, you know, Jack goes through the laundry mm-hmm. list and stuff the others did, Friendly essentially makes a glasses, a glass house stone reference, which I guess is him sort of being like, hey, you know, Mr. Echo style, we did what we needed to do to survive, or at least that's what he believes. So I do agree to a certain extent that I think, you know, sh- still showing kind of the murky morality of the others is a very interesting idea, especially with this idea of creating order out of chaos. Uh, they are on this island where so much crazy shit is happening that to form a society, you have to bend the will and the morale of the people a little bit. Now, does that mean that it justifies this weird tribunal Isabel thing that we're going to get into later? No. I'll be outright and say that I think adding that element in is not in line with what you're talking about. It feels like a very odd either step back or complete step in a different direction from even what we're seeing in this scene of these people saying like, yeah, we did some intense shit, but you know what? Like we we're doing it for a reason that feels distinctly different to me than the walking dead slash handmaid's tale post-apocalyptic branding ceremony. Yeah, but I think that that's very in line with Benjamin Linus. Benjamin Linus is a very broken and bad person. Uh, Whether or not he starts to repair that damage by the end of the series, I think he's a work in progress, efforting in that direction. I think it's actually fairly telling that in the latter half of the final season, like, Ben doesn't really... doesn't really do too much like he he like survives dr linus alana lets him live and then eventually he gets like kind of like scooped back up by the man in black under circumstance and sort of just is like trying to survive his way through that um but he doesn't have like a pivotal role in the finale other than being like i'll help you however i can (laughs) or Um, get me out from under this tree please yeah and they do and i'll help you however i can and like where you leave ben at the end of the series is this is a guy who has made a fatal mistake finally realizes that his fatal mistake is the byproduct of a lifetime of uh feeling aggrieved and feeling like he's owed stuff and feeling like he's deserved uh that he deserves stuff and yeah it comes from a a very sad history of the way that he was um brought into the world who he was raised by and also not the least of which is that apparently he probably has some like horrible smoky black monster thing in him right like he's got some dark heart action going on he went to the temple assumingly 
and Richard Alpert says like he's not going to be the same. Um, that could, you know, there's a lot of possible uh, interpretations of that. Um, but he is somebody who has he he's a person who's in pain that causes a lot of pain. He's a traumatized person who causes a lot of trauma, and that's a very scary person to be the leader of an organization. And he is the leader of this organization, and he is the kind of person that absolutely strikes me as this kind of penalty system would be something that he may have even inherited from like a Charles Widmore type. This feels very Charles Widmore too, the branding stuff. And it feels very Ben Linus. I'm mm. not saying that it's good. I'm saying that it's actively bad, but I don't think it's out of character for either of those two leaders of the others. See, I would disagree because I think what doesn't help this episode and because it was a re- an adverse reaction to this episode is we don't see anything like this moving forward. Whether it's through the rest of season three right. or, or even moving forward. And if we saw more of this, for lack of a better term, like totalitarian and authoritarian punishment system, then this would make a lot of sense. If this was the first little indicator to us of, oh man, there really is like a dictatorial structure here in the others. And that's why Juliet's pleas were like just so meaningful then I would give it more appreciation. Well, but- let me let me offer a counterpoint to that. Go ahead. We're going to we're going to see a couple of examples of this in season 3. Uh we are going to see Benjamin Linus bring John Locke's father to the island and prop him up tied to a pole in front of all of the others, in front of the children and tell John Locke kill him. Show us that you are who we, who we think you are. And that is supposed to be the demonstration of John Locke as the great leader of the others. That's the level of leadership that this organization is operating beneath. Um, we are going to see, uh, as late as the finale, um, that for, for Ben, he is going to instruct Mikhail, uh, who he's been lying to, so many people that he's been lying to about the jamming station that he has to murder the two people who've been operating it so that nobody finds out about it. That is the tippy-top level of leadership that is happening in the others. That's very in character with the totalitarian regime. Well, let me make a counterpoint to that counterpoint, though. <laughs> yeah. it, it isn't, though. I mean, for lack of a better term, those two points are honestly more creative than what we see in this episode. Like, those are more... When I think Benjamin Linus, I think outside the magic box, if you will. That When he plans to break Jack, when he plans to wedge himself in between Jack and Locke in Season 2, he is using uncouth and unconventional means to do so. Maybe it's because our brains have sort of been tempered by, again, I'll go back to it, like post-apocalyptic fiction, this idea of The Handmaid's Tale or The Walking Dead or insert other losty show here, this idea of like carrying out punishments in a very regimented style. It felt a bit like old hat in a certain regard from a pop culture perspective to watch this branding happen. And it felt a bit out of character for me. I feel like Ben would honestly come up with a much more creative solution. Hell, you just mentioned he brought a dude's dad in a magic box onto the island to deal with it. That sounds way more Benjamin Linus to me than stand in front of your peers and you will receive a brand. It just feels distinctly different to me. Now, granted, Ben is basically on his back this entire episode. So maybe this is not something that he would personally do were he given the power in the situation. Maybe- Although he does like, the, he, you know, he could, he cold, he totally orders it, right? He's like, don't kill her, but brand her. Yeah, I guess, her. I guess maybe yeah. what I'm saying is more creativity from Benjamin <laughs> yeah. Lyons in this episode. Like give, give more of an ironic punishment to Juliet. 
I, I totally agree. I, I don't want you to think that, like, I like the branding thing. I think it's stupid. I think that I absolutely agree that they could have done something more creative. I think it's pretty lazy. Um, but I think, like, it exists on the show, so it's in the canon of the show, so you have to accept it as in the canon of the show. And so I think from that standpoint, it's not out of character for a dictator to do. You yes. know, it's not out of character for somebody who's at the top of the totalitarian regime to do something like this. And that's Ben Linus. Ben Linus is a dictator. I would I would agree with that. I would say again, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I I, I would take I, I agree with that point. I just think it's compared to what you mentioned, the other stuff that Ben would do, even like holding Juliet against her will, either through manipulation or just pure force. Those feel more exciting and energetic to me than this this random storyline this episode. You know, one thing I do think about is like Ben has agreed to let Juliet leave, and if not for the de- the destruction of the submarine that Ben you know effectively allows, uh, she leaves right and so like he's going to give her the stay of execution he's going to honor his word he's going to let her go but he'll never let her forget and like this is like his really like sick horrible terrible disgusting way of doing that um so there is like some level of like that bitter cruel uh you know thinking outside the the dark box type of stuff to that uh, from from ben's perspective in a strange land (laughs) <laughs> sure 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 um i i just think it's not out of character it's sloppy it's not it there was there were better ways to do this for sure but i think also they want to they want to mark the 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 present and the past with uh yeah with oh, that's, that's very clear when jack and julian are essentially <laughs> comparing markings at the end it's like ah oh, yes the connector i too have a tattoo <laughs> uh so yeah so mr friendly says to jack you see this glass house you're living in how about i get you some stones great mc gainy line delivery there it's a good it's a good mc gainey episode i really do feel like you know he's had some moments in season three he has his his dialogue with kate and like a couple things back and forth but friendly we talked about this two episodes ago he has taken such a different pov uh from the guy that we saw kidnap walt off the boat which makes him a richer character but i do feel like this is one of those episodes where we begin to see him you know as more of a figurehead of the others that we thought that he was in season two especially we got we got into a lot of stuff just now and there there was one thing that i was gonna make a point on um to to something that you had said like you have to grade this stuff on a scale because we haven't really talked about an episode where there aren't great performances i agree that pushes this out of the ones for me uh this is this is you know for me lost is my all-time favorite show and i think that now that we're coming to stranger in a strange land which would be the absolute worst and we won't have an example of like a worse episode of lost until maybe like across the sea yeah maybe uh, or, or, or some, maybe I, I would yeah i would say definitely there might be some season some six, season like, six like maybe yeah. sundown honestly might be no I, th- there's a lot that i love in sundown but I, I i hear what you're saying like i think season six boasts some of these episodes where we would have these conversations of like a race to the bottom um i have fire plus water at a 2.1 um and i think in ex- in like and i was really nervous coming back to this episode thing like i've had this hot take for a while at stranger and strange land isn't the worst episode of lost uh everyone's coming at this with like a one or a zero like oh god it's gonna be really <laughs> bad i'm gonna have to completely walk it back but for me i i did f- i found those things about performance in this episode and dialogue too that i think that like it's it's that example of like even the worst episodes of lost at least have that stuff great and that escalates at a full point for me and i think for me what that tells me is i will never go under a two I'm going to be like, I'm finding my rubric a little right, bit. Right. You're, you're finding the, your floor. 
Maybe maybe a little bit late, but I'm never going to go under a two. So so that is what this scene helped reinforce for me. I'm never going to go under a two with my ratings. No, I think I, lo- I love this show, warts and all. Well, that's what I've sort of realized with this episode in Fire Plus Water as well. Because I was thinking like I had a very similar thing of like, okay, it's zero to four point two technically, but what's the scale for me? You know, am I truly going to ever give something a zero? And like you said, there are merits to this episode. I do not think this episode is a complete trash from minute one to minute 42. I think there are certainly facets of it. I think one thing that definitely marks it down is, for lack of a better term, is sort of uselessness. I think there are sort of, you talked about this during Fire Plus Water, of how there are certain episodes of Lost that you could kind of like, skip and get yada yada through in the previously on uh that you sort of can can fill in the blanks that this episode might set up in future episodes and i think that upon re-examination this episode certainly does that to a certain extent where i think there are certain things that are furthered but there is not necessarily like a game-changing important moment necessarily in this episode that couldn't have been moved into another episode totally agreed i think that this uh this episode deepens its central subject um in a in a way that isn't necessary necessarily um but can be helpful for the enrichment of the character mm. if you look at it in certain ways and yeah. so i hope i hope that we're able to do that i'm, I'm that's what i'm trying to do no, so we'll I, see I, if i'm, I, if I'm say, successful you know, at all spoiler for the for the end of the episode i do think particularly the last act i was like okay this this is something nice. This is something nice back home in a, in a manner of speaking. And so I do think if you, if you look from a certain perspective, there are chains that get moved. It's just not in comparison to a lot of other episodes of Lost, which almost nearly each and every episode has at least one moment in it that like really sends stuff spinning, whether from a plot perspective or a character perspective. This is probably the episode that does it the least. There is still movement, but it's inches, not feet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a it's an ugly episode. It's an episode that is like you know whether you think it's just like an ugly quality and like sloppily done and very poorly done. Take that. That's fine. Um, but even in the sunniest outlook of this episode, it's an ugly episode. The things that are happening in this episode are ugly. Uh, certainly in the A plot. Um, so Jack is being taken away. He walks past Juliet. I know that we had the request to put in a sound clip of her saying. Hey, in, the, we in the weird put, slow-mo. <laughs> yeah, we didn't put that in. Uh, hear, it's like the Kate's Motel theme is uh, in the background here a little bit, right? Yeah, I believe a little bit comes in. Jim Fells doesn't talk too much about it, but surprise, surprise, uh, this episode is the debut of Juliet's big theme. We're going to talk yes, about it with Oceans yes, Apart. Yes, uh, and and yes, I think it pops yes. up, I believe, uh, let me check my notes here, Jim Fells says... It appears in 10 episodes and 19 scenes in the last four seasons. So yeah, Oceans yeah. Apart is basically a veritable ocean of music. So We will get there. But yeah, we this is another fun sure. little instance. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen Lost Random Slow-Mo, but we get it here in this episode. We get it here. We see Isabel. We walk past her. She sucks. We'll get to her in a little bit. Flashback time. Oh Dr. Jack. <laughs> Dr. Jack. No time for love, Dr. Jack. Yeah, so here's Dr. Jack. He's getting uh, two sodas. He's a Jack Shepard, a two cola kind of guy. Maybe it was like one now, one later, though. He didn't really seem to have any sort of cooling mechanism, considering how tropical it is in Thailand. I guess he wants to down them straight up. Down the hatch. It seems like he just wants to throw back that uh, that first Coca Cola and then enjoy the second. Yeah, and then say, you know, hey, he's just hey kid, up. and throw his his I don't know his doctor's lab coat to him because yeah. So this is Jack. He's in Thailand. He has clearly these are following the events of a tale of two cities. 
So this is interesting because, uh, Josh, you have made the point previously that, you know, these flashbacks need to exist in the through line to through the looking glass of we need to see Jack Shepard hit rock bottom. Here's my hot take. Jack Shepard has not hit rock bottom in Stranger in a Strange Land. Oh, really? In, Interesting. In my opinion, Jack Shepard hit rock bottom in A Tale of Two Cities. You see, I think it gets I think it gets darker and uglier here. I do. Interesting. Um, I di- I disagree. I think I think it gets bad. I think it get, I it, I think it's a con- it's a continuation of that darkness. I think uh, we'll 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 see when when we get into it. Um, but it's uh, I would take need out of it. I do think that this is a skippable episode for sure. Uh, like this is one of those skippable episodes of Lost, so it puts it in that category. Um, but you know, there, skippable is a is a relative word. Um, but I think that the stuff that you get in A Tale of Two Cities probably is enough to get you to think that Jack would be at the low that he's at in the season three finale, but this really reinforces it. So that's the the utility that this episode possesses as far as tricking you into thinking that the season three flash is a flashback and not a flash forward, that you're thinking that like, yeah, I watched what Jack did with Sarah. That was very ugly. Yeah, I saw Jack go to Thailand. It's not a great look. Yeah, I could imagine Jack just like going full drunk on his way home from Thailand and then just like being in a really awful state. And that's what we're watching in the finale. I think this helps that through line. I don't think it's required for it, but I do think it, it helps it. The take that I emerged from this rewatch uh, of Stranger in a Strange Land, which I didn't possess until I watched it, is that I think that it deepens Jack Shepard not just for that flash-forward twist, but I think it, it, it reinforces. It's not revealing anything new, but it reinforces a central piece of Jack Shepard, which is, dude is very problematic. Jack Shepard is an intensely problematic guy. Uh, and there is not a dissimilar arc to Jack as to Ben, mm. uh, that I think is worth examining in the full examination of Jack as a character. And a character can be problematic and still be a great character. Um, and I think that Jack is an example of that. And I think that this episode helps to express some of that stuff. So what's the difference between the flashback in this and the flashback in something like Further Instructions, which was also something that we would say, you know, doesn't further the character of John Locke, but reinforces his convictions. I think execution is is a piece of it. And then like these like component parts of scenes, dialogue, stack them together. Like, is there are there scenes and dialogue and character moments and further instructions that are superior to scenes and character moments and dialogue and the other, like, uh, you know, the more ephemeral qualities of Lost, like scenery and music. Um, are there things and in further instructions there that trump what Stranger in a Strange Land does? For me, the answer is no. Mm. For me, the answer is Stranger in a Strange Land is superior to further instructions in those regards. Interesting. But it's a taste thing. It's a taste thing. I think uh, both suffer from the same problem. And I would actually say, I talked about this actually with I Do a few weeks ago. It is a mountainous, Sisyphean effort, I think, to get us to care about brand new characters mm-hmm. from a flashback setting in one episode. Yeah. That's why I think Kevin doesn't work in I Do. And that's why, spoiler, surprise, surprise, I do not think Achara and Thailand works whatsoever. Like, yes, we have a character we care about in Jack, but I do think there is a different world where, yeah, you can put Jack in a different setting. Maybe he does go to Thailand, but still incorporate maybe some other characters in there that we knew about to sort of 
you know, we we get mention of Christian Shepard just a bit, so I guess his presence looms over there. But when there is so much new going on, just like with Locke and Eddie and the commune of it all, you feel a bit, for lack of a better term, lost, and you lose that emotional investment. I think the Jack flashbacks, they've done such a good job, even if you're sort of iffy on stuff like The Hunting Party. I have been very high on Jack flashbacks because I think it actually tells a surprisingly cohesive story in the past seven episodes. And I think the shaken aspect of removing him here, I can understand the shockingness of it all, but I think it's something that unfortunately hurts it because considering all the stuff that Jack's going through, it it, it hurts to not see those recurring characters in Jack's life and just put him out on his own for an entire episode. Yeah. Um, Let's keep going. Let's let's drill in deeper. Uh, Jack's going to meet Achara, right? He he doesn't know how to fly a kite. This is before he took his flying lessons, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can fly a kite. You can fly a plane. Yeah, uh, uh, Jack would not it, win that Snickers reward in Survivor Marquesas. That's for sure. You know, it, this is the kind of thing where like there's so much head canonization that is done if you are like a super lost nerd, right? Like when when this is a show that like you think about all the time. You like the show's been dead for years, and yet you still think about it. And like you, like the whisperers can be ghosts, mm-hmm. but still be in league with the others, and so that can make sense. Time travel can answer all. Like you know, like when you're thinking about the show at that level, which means that you're just like a nerd for the thing. Um, you know, you you get yourself to that place. There was a moment for that that was very personal for me. Is there's this moment at the end of when the kite is flying up in the air, uh, the angle on the kite uh you see it flying in the sky feels very evocative of when jack is at the end of the show the whole show and he's lying on his back in the jungle and he's watching ajira take off Mm. uh and uh he is he is seeing that and the music that is playing yeah in this moment as atra and jack are setting up the 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 ship named jack Jack, no count Jacktera. <laughs> Good evening. It's gonna be it's gonna be a month long tryst, so I think it should have a, a, a ship name to it. Yeah, count Jack uh, Jacktera. Uh, yeah, the 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 music and the angle on it is very evocative of the finale. So anytime I'm reminded of the finale, I'm always gonna be like, man, that's so great. Like, obviously, it's like not intentional, but then there is like the piece of me that wonders because. Lost is already building the runway clearly for for yeah, like hauling, a return they're trip. hauling in uh, picking. You know they know a plane's going to come back down. I think in season three already, like they have this notion of there will be a piece of Lost where they leave the island and have to go back. So it's not an accident that they are like baking in that dialogue. We have to go back. Uh, it's seeded throughout the series. You hear it a few times. Um, we hear it in this episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's not an accident that you see. You know that they're building a runway specifically to get a plane down. And one of the things that they've said is like we know how the show ends. And the piece of what I believe about that because I don't believe it fully. Um, but the piece of that that I believe is that they know that the final sh- shot will be we opened on an eye and we'll close on an eye mm-hmm. and it'll be Jack in the jungle. So it wouldn't surprise me if they also have in mind at that point um, a plane in the air, you know, a plane in the sky being something that he is watching take off, that he is uh, he is among us, but he's not one of us, you know, that he is somebody who is like separate from the group, that he's a great man, but he's very lonely and angry and he needs to work towards fixing that. Uh, he needs to fix, fix himself before you can fix anyone else, um, that these are themes that are all baked throughout the show about Jack Shepard. Um, so to see this image here 
it, there, there is a piece of me that wonders how, how much intentionality is behind it. I'm not going to go crazy and give like an insane amount of credit for that. Oh, no, it's, to, it's, to, let's be clear. It's zero intentionality. It's, it's pretty, I, I it's do not think when Damon Lindelof gets to the season six finale, he goes, you know, we need a callback to Stranger in a Strange Land. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's a callback to Stranger in a Strange Land, but I'm saying that I think like ideas that have maybe been like discussed in the writers' room at that point of like uh, we see we we know where Jack is going to land. And that's what we're building towards with the show. Is uh, how how do you fix a broke a broken person? You know, can broken people fix themselves? Can other people help you fix yourself? Can you help other people fix themselves? Those are central, fundamental theses statements of Lost, um, and and it, it wouldn't surprise me if at this point they are already aware that like the landing point is Jack flat on his back and will look at his eye and he's looking up at a plane. So it's just evocative for me, whether or not it's intentional, and it's probably not, but it's evocative for me in that way. I would say I was not even looking at that, and I would say I, I like the brief. I guess if I had to pick a 30-second snatch out of the flashbacks this episode, I did like the first meeting of Jack and Atra because I do like the wordlessness of it, especially, at least initially, we get that the sense that Jack is a, the quite the stranger in a strange land because of the language barrier, right? Like, he only knows, the little kid that he buys sodas from only knows the, the phrase Dr. Jack. Like, it's very clear he is ooh in translation, in a way. And so I do like the fact that the first way they meet is not necessarily with dialogue, uh, mainly because the visual of Bai Ling wearing a dead cat on her head was more evocative than any sort of dialogue that could come out of her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I, I think that there's just like, there's stuff in this episode that I see that matters to me. Sub, you know, subjectivity is a thing. Right. Uh, it's, our, it's, so it's our individual rankings, not everyone else's. Yeah. Um, Mr. Friendly comes to, to Jack at the cages and gives him a sandwich. And it's just like a sloppy cheese sandwich, a floppy cheese sandwich. And Jack says, Julia used to grill these for me. Um, I just love sort of like, <laughs> like, like, little like, like, well, Julia yeah, used to do this for me. Yeah. I think that, <laughs> come on, I saved Ben. Can I get an upgrade? That's, that's in character for Jack. Oh, it definitely is. I mean, this that is a guy like, that, that is stubborn and whiny <laughs> AF. So, you know, this is a dude who has, uh, who, who has like, you know, he's been ri- like, he has had a lot of difficulties growing up he lived in like a highly pressurized household and stuff but i think that this is a guy who's never wanted for creature comfort at all uh and has gotten accustomed to a certain kind of lifestyle we've seen his watch you know like we've seen like we've seen we've seen his apartment and stuff like that uh and so like i i just love that line from him it's just like sort of like entitled jack like i used to get these grills yeah, and it's Ugh. also a great reminder of the so fact dude, that you're like, on a deserted island and you're gonna you're gonna be mad at a cheese sandwich right now it's not papaya anymore well let's also remember that uh this is his first time in the cages too he has been moved into Sawyer's cage so he has really gone from like the penthouse to the motel six of the other's captivity and now he is truly experiencing that's why I think this episode you know if there is a need for it it does answer the question of like wow Jack makes this incredible sacrifice at the end of not in Portland what happens next and I do enjoy the way they sort of compartmentalize through that could it have been done in a different way absolutely but I do think you know the the moodiness that Jack goes through I think is I personally think, as much as people might think we just dump on Jack in this podcast, I think his a lot of his moodiness is completely understandable in the A plot, at least. I think so, too. I think so, too. And I think that that's also just Jack. Maybe he's a little hangry right now, too. And, like, uh, sometimes when you get to a certain level of hanger, even, like, you'll start getting picky. Yeah. Like, I don't want that. 
That's not what I want. Look, if I have to eat anything, I'm going to eat what I want. Or maybe he's still, I'm not going to eat the cheese sandwich. Are you kidding me? Maybe he still thinks he's going to die, that they're sort of like leading him along here. And so he wants like his last meal to be something pretty darn big, not just a cheese sandwich. Yeah. Uh, so they're talking about that. Mr. Friendly has some questions like, hey, let me ask you something. How do you feel about everything that just went down? You risked your neck for everything and they're gone. And like, does that feel good? You like you like everything that just went down? And Jack's just like, I'm not your friend, dude. Your main name might be friendly, but like, this is not, we're not simpatico right now. Yeah, we're not. We're really, really not. Uh, thanks for the sandwich. Get out of here. Uh, we got Kate and Sawyer. They are, they are both approaching the island. Uh, and Kate still wants to, now she wants to like, go back to, like, take me to the beach. And Sawyer's like, no, it's going to get dark yeah. and I'm not going to sail in the dark. I mean, He's got reason to feel that way, right? Yes. It didn't go well for him the last time. Completely. Like, I think Sawyer's ever like, look, I've experienced this before. Here's the thing. Like, I know that Kate has some emotional substantiation, which I'm sure we'll get into. I think her first two scenes, she's a little unreasonable in this episode. And again, I think a lot of it is clouded by the emotional goodbye that she had to Jack. But yeah, I think the demand of like, no, escort, please row me around the island to the beach. Sawyer's like, are you crazy right now? Yeah, uh, so that is uh, that is that is wonderful. <laughs> Just think, like you know, it, it makes it makes sense to me that Sawyer would be like, "No, yeah, we're going, we're we're parking it for the night." Um, it's a bit of you know, it's it, the the Kate and Sawyer stuff is a little hard to get through in this episode. It's for tough because sure. I think that they both have their own respective places, and it's weird. It feels like a weird sort of swerve from the way that we left the two of them after all the stuff they went through in the first six episodes, but. Again, you know, we have to speak to what they had to do in terms of really teasing this love triangle along. And I guess this was the, the stumbling block that I guess the, the skaters reached on their skate around the track. So when they when they land on the beach, they're still fighting. And Carl's like, don't fight. You're lucky to be alive. He tells them that Hydra Island's just their work site. It's not where they, they live. They work on projects. projects. Like, like maybe some volcanoes that might have ended lost in a different universe. Yeah. Um, he insists that they've given the kids a better life here uh, on the island. So I think it's the kind of thing where, like, even in a, a dictator's country, like, maybe there are good Samaritans who are giving these kids a better life. Uh, you know, y- you wonder. Uh, or at least, like, maybe they're like, uh, whatever leader says, yeah. you know, like, uh, there's, there's, there's that as well, that component here. This, like, parroting back of, like, the company line of, like, the better life is here. Um, I think that the show gives us so so much re- like yeah the the full extent of the other's mythology is confusing but i think like when you pair it with jacob's stated attitude of like i bring people here and let them do what they're gonna do because yeah. one day they'll break the cycle he doesn't really want to interfere so if the state of the others right now is that they're like you know under the thumb of someone who's just like taking advantage of the system he's just gonna let that happen uh and people like carl who you can assume like has lived here at least most of his life i mean i'm um, assuming his whole life he doesn't even know what the brady bunch is right but you know he, he couldn't have been born here no but i can imagine he gets taken to the island at like i don't know two three years old maybe you know, people might leave the island to breed, you know, who knows? And then they come back. Uh, we don't know what that yeah, looks they have, like. They have like, what, shore leave from the island where they go but off he has, and have a tryst and then come back? He doesn't know what life is like outside of the barracks, basically, to the point that, like, they look up at the stars, him and Alex, and they make up names for the constellations. Ursa Theodorus, the teddy bear, which I think is very cute. Yeah. I think that's very cute. No, this, kinda, this, is, this is a... I like the Carl and Alex stuff Yeah, this, here. this is a really... And I love their, like, somewhere out there American tale moment at the end yeah. when we're looking up at the same stars. Like, this is, you know, as much as we have not been fans of Carl and Alex starting off here, this is a good Carl scene, because it's also like him, you know, not getting banged around, and, like, he has more than three lines 
lines of dialogue here. Um, but yeah, I think the whole, you know, the kids have better lives. It's also, I think, objectively true, right? Like uh, they were subsisting on meager rations in like tattered clothes in a tra- traumatizing situation with the tailies. And now they're like hanging out with Cindy, living like a pretty normalized life, relatively speaking. So like it also is a very true statement. Yeah, so uh, I I think that that's you know that that works for me. Uh, by the way, Mike Bloom, we have officially crossed 108 patrons. Uh, the post show recaps Patreon program over the course of just checked in 110 patrons Damn. as we currently are are logging this conversation. Um, the numbers are so, yeah, good. The numbers are good. The numbers are great. Uh, oh, oh speaking, God, speaking thank, of which, because I've just randomly thank you early. Uh, I believe from my research, this is the only set of episodes this and flashes before your eyes where characters that appeared in like in these two episodes do not appear in the other one every other episode even like the whole adrift uh you know orientation uh man of science man of fate stuff has some crossover nobody from the main island is in the hydra episode and vice versa so it really does feel like another version of sort of the rashomon of it all yeah uh yeah i think that's interesting i think that's interesting um juliet comes to jack right uh, Juliet comes to Jack. She's been allowed to examine Ben because she's the doctor. Uh, ben has a fever. Vitals are low. And the only Infected prescription stitches. is more cowbell. More cowbell. We're going to need more cowbell. Uh, and so like they, she says, I need you to, to look at him. Not for him. Not for the others. For me. A personal favor to me. I think a vulnerable Juliet is is who we are seeing here. I, I I fully buy this. I think Juliet knows that she's in trouble, and I think Juliet has reason to believe that she would be endangered here. That even if Ben was involved, even if Ben was shot, calling this situation, he might uh, want to kill her. But I think it's important to remember that, like. I think Juliet has split popularity within the others. Right. You know, I think that there are people who would be thrilled to get rid of her. Yeah. Uh, you know, because of the whole Goodwin situation and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think that there would be people who will be just fine with uh, taking Juliet out of the equation, especially if she had this thing where she told uh, Jack to kill Ben. I think that there would be people who are like, yeah, she's got to get killed for that. So my other question from the scene is, you know, Jack asked Juliet, who did you kill? And she responds, it's complicated. And the information will come out later, which will cause Jack to save Juliet's life, essentially, that she killed Pickett because he was going to kill Kate and Sawyer. Why does she choose not to disclose that at this point in time? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm trying to remember, I guess, if there's surveillance. She thinks she's under surveillance Yeah, right that's now? what I was thinking. Like, I can't remember if there was another party in the room that maybe she thought like that could be used as currency against her. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting piece of information. I think if she wants to ask for a personal favor to him, I think it would certainly help the relationship if she's like, hey, I did you a solid. I killed someone to help your two friends. Want to help me out of this jam here, buddy? Yeah. Uh, you know, it would have been, been nice. Um, uh, this is another example of uh dialogue that i really love in this episode i think this episode has great dialogue uh she says she killed someone uh who and why and she says it's complicated and then jack responds with well then let me simplify it for you uh i just think like the way that like that volley back and forth that rally is good i think that that's a really good word rally i mean i think the main island stuff has some good dialogue, particularly the A-plot stuff. I can't say the same about maybe the other stuff, but I, I think that the Jack on Hydra stuff, I agree, has some surprisingly good tennis matches. So, flashback time. We're at the restaurant. Chet. Chet's restaurant. I love such a douche name. Apologies to Chet's out there, but it just feels weird to be like, yes, Atra and her brother, Chet. 
I love it. I love Chet. Chet and like Chet has every reason to do what he does by the end of this episode, by the way. Uh, so he he's going to give Jack the special dish. Jack eats it uh, with a plum. Uh, there's no plum, but he eats it uh, very gamely. Uh, if only uh, there was a peach in there. We know that Ray Mullen has outsourced <laughs> to Thailand. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Any peach sauce is lingering around. You know who that's come from. Um, so, uh, uh Otter <laughs> like kite shames Jack. You never learned how to fly a kite. That's very sad. I mean, listen. I'll be honest. I really never learned how to fly a kite. Maybe people yeah, are just I not. Yeah, people are just it. not kite flying families. Okay, we're not all Mary Poppins, Achara. Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I don't know either. But like, you know, it's, for her, like, it's old Hatch. She's very good at it. Jack is the one who brings up his father, and he starts like to talk about it. Like, you get the sense that some time has passed. He's, you know, traveling the world. He's trying to find himself. You're an American. That's what she says, right? You're in Paquette to find yourself. How did you know? You're an American. Very American thing. Jack is a super American in this episode, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like deeply, deeply American. Here. Yeah, I mean, exactly. He sort of is just like has no idea really what he's doing. But but he is going to speak loudly about the fact that he is here and he is trying to figure out who he is. Yeah. Uh, so he's trying He's trying to get in. You know, he's, he's talking about that. And she says, I have no interest in your father. Can, can you imagine for a guy like Jack Shepard in this moment um, how much of a relief those words would be to hear from like a stranger who is clearly like physically attracted to you, is mm-hmm. interesting to you, is enigmatic. Uh, like, he must be very thrilled to hear from someone who's seemingly taking an interest just in him that he doesn't even have to talk about Christian Shepherd. Yeah, because, you know, inevitably, he's going to talk all about Christian Shepherd to her because he can't get him out of his head. So he's like, oh, great, a brand new person who doesn't know anything about my dad so I can tell her everything she needs to know. Yeah, uh, so that is... Uh that is where they they leave that because somebody shows up. We listened to this at the top of the episode who comes and gives her some payment. And they're speaking in Thai. Uh, and then he walks away and she says, I have a gift. And Jack says, must be one hell of a gift. And I know that that is up for some question for, for, for some people. So I, uh, so Bai Ling plays Achara. Mm-hmm. We haven't really talked about Bai Ling very much. Uh, and, you know, I think this character is often like linked with the malignment of stranger in a strange land. I can't tell you how to feel one way or the other. <gasps> what what I can tell you is that the storm, the lost uh, rewatch podcast. It's uh, spoiler free for a lot of people. Uh, the podcast breaks down into a spoiler free section and a spoiler filled section. And typically, there's an interview that's done by Joanna Robinson that breaks up the podcast. And Joanna's uh, interviewed that that week for Stranger in a Strange Land. She got by Ling. Yes, uh, she was able to get by Ling on the podcast. And I think that 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 conversation with her was such a tone setter and such a such a table setter um, that it's actually really early on in the podcast that you can listen to that. I think it's 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 a really great listen. It is a really great listen to like listen to Bai Ling talk about her time on Lost, which she seemingly greatly enjoyed. Good. Um, really loved working with Matthew Fox on these scenes and has like this awesome like loud and proud like screw all other opinions. They don't even exist to me uh, attitude of like I am very good at what I do. Uh, and the universe tells me what to do and I respond to the universe. She has a quote in the interview with Joanna where she says, I never learned acting, but I believe I am one of the best in the world. Um, <laughs> she also has a great moment where she says, in Crank 2, I worked with Jason State. I sold the show. I'm hilarious. Uh, <gasps> oh, really? I want to channel big biling energy just in it's my day to day. Like, that's the thing is like, I really want that. And I think she like that, that like it, it feels maybe not like totally of a piece with the 
rest of Lost <laughs> is what we're getting here. But I think it's like very authentic. And I think that she's like feeling it very authentically. And the meta quality of like listening to that interview and, and getting by Ling's specific perspective that like all these years later, you know, this is an interview conducted during quarantine. Uh, and in fact, she made a quarantine movie that's called something like uh, I think like my quarantine love affair with toilet paper, I think is, is what it's called. And of course she, tells- she is the, the unmangated star and a presumptive award nominee from it, right? She, she tells, yeah, I think she directed it too. I think she, Wait, she really? tells, the, yeah, she tells, she tells more of the story in, in her interview, uh, with Joanna. Um, that I, there's an earnestness there that I, that I really appreciate. That meta quality, uh, listening to that has just enriched by Ling's, uh, contribution to loss. <laughs> Cause again, it's historic. This is historic stuff within the context of Lost that like I it's historic in a way that like whatever the case may be, nothing about that's like historic. That's just a bad episode of the show. Adrift, nothing about that's really historic. I guess like uh you know, Jay Ezra Sharkington uh as an in joke, sure. I'll take that. Uh the you all everybody's historic, sure. Uh the the whole the whole Atra stuff, historic as well. So I think like at the very least, like these are things that need to be marked. If these are parts of like the worst episode episode of Lost, quote-unquote, or the worst episodes of Lost, quote-unquote, they do still need, for me at least, to be acknowledged for what they are. Historic within the language and lexicon of this show that we obviously still love very, very much because we're still talking about it all wait, these years Wait, wait, so to clarify, because Bai Ling thinks very highly of herself, you consider that a historic element of this Lost no, episode? No, I think her inclusion in the show, I think the character of Atra, who has been uh, associated so deeply with Stranger in a Strange Land, that's like, that is a character that you'll never forget. You do not forget Atra. Atra and her existence on Lost for better or for worse, is that is not like a thing that like there are, there are pieces of loss that you forget, but you don't forget that this character existed. I don't think that there are people who watched the show, who watched the show that haven't watched it in a long time. And you brought up like, do you remember uh, Jack's tattoos episode? They'll be like, oh God. And they'll at least have like the mental. Oh picture yeah. When of people give the log out. line for this episode, they usually say Biling gives Jack you his know, tattoo. Ex- Exactly. So that is what I'm saying. Okay, that is gotcha, what I'm gotcha. saying. So that again, again it's, I'm that, it's that infamy argument, the absolute value. Yeah, I think that that, that contributes to its historic quality uh, that at least like uh, makes it notable in a way that some of the other episodes that are in this tier are less notable for me. Um, you know, whatever the case may be, really being uh, an example of one that what did I give whatever the case may be? Let me just take a, a quick gander. Uh, whatever the case may be, I gave that a two point four. I would love to to reduce that if I could, uh, but I, I'm not. I'm not revision, revising anything. No revisions. No revisions. But which definitely help, uh, hurts it as well, too, right? Because you had to compare it against like fire plus water, and you're like, well, I gave it this score, so therefore, mm-hmm. if I like it better, I have to rise or you know your static versus my dynamic ratings has mm-hmm. its pros and cons. Yes, absolutely. Uh, anyway, let's. Uh, we've talked about Jack's tattoos. Uh, a little bit like in the in the abstract now let's talk about them for realsies let's listen to sound number three here she is isabel is going to make her vocal debut on lost and down the hatch i was just reading your tattoos the five and the stars are very cute but the chinese i find an that ironic you find what ironic what it says you do know what it says yeah i know what it says are you sure 
Chinese is a very complicated language. It's fairly common for some things to get lost in translation. I know what it says. All right, then. I hate this scene. <laughs> I hate this scene so much. Talk to me about why. It's it's. Go- I don't disagree. <laughs> no, it's going into that trope that you you talked about a few uh, weeks ago, right? The like the, the I know something and yeah. you know something, but yeah. the audience doesn't know. Yeah. We're gonna play. We're it's like it's good. just so <laughs> incredibly derivative and stupid. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. It's not great. And I I really dislike the Isabel character. I understand like that a character like her would exist within the world of Lost. Uh, it makes sense. And I think that one of like the things that we, you know, even if I can, if I can dig through and pull up the feedback, cause I'm pretty sure that, uh, we got like a specific question, uh, about Isabel as a character, uh, filibustering on my way towards finding out if this is in the <laughs> I thing. Like this transition song, the hold music of Lost Down the Hatch. Uh, this may be, yeah, here it is. This is from John Krause. Uh, the other stuff, it's all mysterious and esoteric. It's normally the kind of thing I love, but in hindsight, it never goes anywhere. Isabel never shows up again. Their whole weird court and trial system never matters again. Uh, and I, I would say that, like, because the reception to this episode was so bad that I think that they would never want to, like, remind you of something that happened in this episode. So right. Isabel goes I mean, away. I mean, maybe in another universe, if they do, they decide to keep piling on of the Nikki and Paolo stuff and, like, put a scene in through the looking glass where, like, somebody just, like, you know, kicks in Isabel's L skull or something for yeah. catharsis stake. But I think they were very much like, we're not acknowledging this. You know, they, there was that infamous interview with Damon, I think in between season three and four, where they're like, yeah, basically a bunch of others died off screen. That's what Aldo's death was initially written in. So they're just sort of like, we're not, we're going to remember that she wasn't a part of this, even though arguably her position means that she's a very, very important part of the day to day in the others. Yeah, I think if like if the episode had been received better, I think you would probably see more Isabel. Uh, but like, it's the kind of thing like the character's not resonating for viewers. The, this this episode, most importantly, actually, I think is like this episode did not resonate for Damon and Carlton. Yeah, <laughs> well, it did, but not for like you know the reasons that they would hope. Uh, this episode, you know, this was what this is an episode that they would like to burn in the fire. Uh, they would like to throw it in the trash, uh, and so I think Isabel winds up in the in the trash as well. And I think good riddance. Uh, but I but I think that like the existence of somebody who would be like of like similar moral alignment to Ben and be somebody who would like get called upon for a matter like this makes sense to me. Yeah, it also makes sense to me that we would never see this character again because this character is such a whiff. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, like what new capabilities does she have that we do not see in Ben? or in other others that we see. like th- I do not think she's really bringing anything new to the table, and what she's representing and what she's bringing is pretty underwhelming as well. So, like, I think it was fine that they got rid of her, because I think they've realized very quickly, like, yeah, I guess the only reason why she really exists is that, you know, Ben is, again, sort of uh, has infected stitches. Otherwise, you would imagine that we don't necessarily need to bring in this penal officer that will never be spoken of again. Yeah, well, Ben, like, he can't get off the table yet, right? Like, he's in recovery. He's got no one watching him right now. Uh, so, or, or, like, he's got, like, one person who's not doing a great job of it. Uh, so, yeah, they need, to, they need to bring somebody else in. But, like, if they had known at this time that Richard Alpert would be a bigger deal, like, you can imagine the world where this episode takes place and it's Richard Alpert in the Isabel spot. Um, but, like, they're just so young in the Richard Alpert phase. Um, maybe Nestor Carbonell's not available yet. Maybe they, uh, you know, in the writing, certainly, this is just two episodes after not in portland right um or yeah yeah there's yeah. one in between there's flashes before your Whoa, eyes and that's wait it. wait wait i'm so i'm just thinking obviously i know that miss clue was initially supposed to die in the glass mm. ballerina could she have played a role here because we're gonna see yeah, the end of her in a few episodes from now yeah 
That would have been ideal. Yeah, I think that that's a great call. Considering like what she did in in you know three minutes, I think that she could have easily filled that same role here as just like the other's iron fist in a manner of speaking. Yes, yes, I think like having her here as like a reminder of Miss Clue sooner than Enter Seven Seven uh, would be a great call. I think that's an excellent idea. I love that. Yeah, anything that gets rid of Isabella, I think it's a better idea by, <laughs> by default. <laughs> yeah, she sucks. She's awful. She's awful. I don't have a lot of issue with Atra as a character. I have a lot of issue with Isabel as a character. I think Isabel as a character is terrible. Uh, I think Atra at least is like in the mold of a lot of these types of characters that we've seen in the Jack flashback stories before. I'm thinking about um, the Italian woman who he has like the emotional affair yeah, there, with. There that are turns Jack into the sort of does have experience with like a few manic pixie dream girls in a manner of speaking. I do feel like and I think Atra that fits that. I think this fits the mold. Uh, so she brings Jack to the interrogation room with Juliet and Tom is there and is like, did Juliet tell you to kill Ben? Jack's like, nah. <laughs> and then there's Jack. Like, exactly. It's like, what? Uh, well, this is fun because let's talk about all the, the ways that you two, you know, how don't have your stories matching up. But Jack does yeah, despite his mixed feelings on Juliet, he does stick up for her in this moment. He lies about lying. He basically like, yeah, I mean, it was a fun little fable I made up because I wanted the others to turn on each other because I'm that smart. Yeah, it's, it's, the turning you against each other was my best chance of creating chaos. Uh, if Juliet like had already confessed or whatever at this point, I think for Jack... Um, his ability to lie here is just so bad. Yeah, uh, just which is really crazy considering that like he proved himself to be such a master poker player last season. I guess that only does not translate outside of the table. You know, so you know he's trying to play the other's game here, and he's just not doing a fantastic job at it. I think when he has to be like put on the spot, it's no good. But even when you think about like what he was secretly planning in I do that he was going to sabotage the surgery, and Ben says like no matter what, things are going to be different from from here on out. He literally just goes. No doubt about it. <laughs> it's just like always like this quality about Jack where like, like I, I got to shut up because I'm totally going to yeah. tip the hand that I'm lying. But he's still trying to play it off like he's so cool for school of like Mr. You know, he's basically trying to come across as the Joker of 815. Yep, that's me. I'm a dog chasing a car. And when I catch it, I don't know what to do with it. That's me, yeah. Jack Shepard, chaos causer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Flashback time. Makeout sesh, lovemaking time with Jack and Atra. Count Jactra is making the Bond Avatar style, and it is a scene. Oh, God, I don't uh, want to watch any big tails come into contact with anybody's uh, body parts anytime soon. But yeah, so it's been about a month, it seems. And I guess they're like pseudo living together, though it seems like Jack has been... No, she like shows up. She shows up to his bungalow, I think. Yeah, and but Jack has been it's seemingly totally fine with outside of that envelope incident, like... Not really questioning too much about Achara's, uh, you know, other deeds. I mean, I find that a little weird that she doesn't, like, you know, dip a little bit into that. But I guess he is okay with, like you said, I guess she, he sort of has switched off, you know, uh, United States Jack, who is just so overly obsessive about each and every little thing that he's like, vacation Jack's cool, doesn't care about a thing in the world. You do whatever you want with those envelopes, honey. Yeah, but there are things that he cares about, right? He's like, tell me about the gift. I want to know more about the gift. I want to know what's going on with the gift. Why won't you tell me what your gift is? Like, I need to know why are so many people so interested in you? What kind of secret are you keeping from me? I've been traumatized by people keeping secrets from me. That trauma still very much lives within Jack, this man who's about full control. And the fact that there is this very, very big, important piece of Atra that he doesn't know is like the itch he cannot help but scratch. He has to take that scab off. He cannot leave it alone to heal on its own. Very 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 deeply jack shepherd oh yeah that is jack 
This is Jack. Jack is fully in character in all of this here. Uh, but it's an awkward scene uh, yeah. to watch. It's just like a lot. It's very, very hot and heavy. Bai Ling tells uh, her story about how this went to get, uh, this scene got uh, put together in her interview with the storm. Uh, and I guess like Matthew Fox's wife was in the room oh, or whatever. Why? Like, like, why? I don't know. <laughs> Listen to the interview. The interview is great. It's so worth yeah, listening honey, to. Yeah, come that- down to set today. We won't be doing anything weird or anything. <laughs> But no, I think that like Bai Ling was like, hey, Matthew Fox, like, is it going to be cool? Because like, I'm going to go for it. And he's like, yeah, it's the scene. You know, we got to do the scene. And Bai Ling finished by saying, like, and I was the greatest lover Matthew Fox ever uh, yeah, had in yeah. his life. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I really don't. Uh, but again, really worth listening to that interview. It's a, That is a gift. That interview is a gift. Uh, great job by Joanna and the Storm podcast. Um, so she says, stop asking questions. No, Let's no, no. Fun. She says, then stop ask questions. Stop ask questions. Let's have fun. Uh, sound number four. Let's cue this up because Jack is going to wake up in the cage and he's going to be surrounded by a bunch of people, including one familiar face. Hey, Jack. Do I... Do I know you? He's 15, you... You are the stewardess. Cindy. What are you doing here with them? I thought you were taken. You were... You were captured. They're not, um... It's not that simple. What are they doing here right now? What are you doing here? We're here to watch, Jack. Watch what? What is that, sweetheart? She... She wants to know how Anna Lucia's doing. Are you serious? What? If you've got something to watch, Cindy, go watch it! Go! (laughs) For some reason, Matthew Fox's Are You Serious just got a chuckle out of me. (laughs) It's awesome! It's awesome, because that is such, like, a, a very earnest and, like, fully earned moment of, like, are you serious? You're going to bring up Anna Lucia right now? <laughs> this whole thing is just too much. I mean, in a different world, a different Jack would be like, she's dead. She's okay. deceased. She got she shot got sh- brutally. And Cindy's like, she got shocked brutally? No, no shot. Shot. <laughs> I said shot. She got shot brutally. Uh, yeah, it's uh, that's great. I It's the return of Cindy. And this is like another thing that's supposed to disorient you is like Cindy got, Cindy got taken by the others. And here she is with the others. I don't think that there's anything that Cindy does or says here that violates the idea that like Cindy's just trying to survive this situation right now. Uh, when she says it's complicated, yeah. you know, like uh, and if she knows like they're, you know, in a place of being watched. 
watched or even if she doesn't know about surveillance if she's just needing to like kind of like keep her head above water right. to keep the kids okay well she's also surrounded by a bunch of others who were definitely not in the same situation like these are not all people that were picked out of you know people that crashed on an island she very much feels like herself a stranger in a strange land i'm assuming but the whole weird thing about like they're here to watch. For some reason, I conflated it with them, like, watching Juliet's execution, and they, like, stopped by the Jack Cage on the way, but no, it does seem indeed like the others become gawkers here, and that they just sort of <laughs> goggle at Jack, the animal in his exhibit. Uh, I definitely thought that it was it was to watch the tribunal, and they're just, like, hanging out here before so they're allowed So this is, like, the holding in. area? Yeah, it's like the line outside the concert. Doors aren't open yet. They're the first arrivers. So I think, and I said this before, but I'll, I'll you know, uh, re- re- repeat it here because I think that, you know, sometimes we get on angry Jack for yelling too much and going from one to a 10. But I think Jack's anger is understood here. Like he wakes up. He feels like he's on display now. Like when he took this deal to stay behind, I don't think he expected to be as like degraded for lack of a better term, as he feels right now. He has been, like, moved out of his cushy <laughs> stuff. He's been, like, thrown about. He's been given below-par food. And now there are people who, assumingly, was from the same plane as him that have betrayed him. He has no context. He didn't hear Carl's words about how the kids are better off now. He doesn't know what situation they're in. And he just saw Michael, one of his closest compadres, betray their crew for the right. others. Like I can understand why he jumps to conclusions about someone like Cindy, for example, and he's just sort of at wit's end about feeling truly, truly alone right now, despite there yeah. being a familiar face in front of him. You know, Jack does not do well when he's not in control and he's completely out of control here. So, uh, you know, the, the way that he acts here is, uh, Deeply, deeply, deeply Jack Shepard is a thing that I continue to say. So Kate and Sawyer, they wake up on the island. There's no Carl. Uh, actually, there is. He's crying. He's crying <laughs> in the woods. Uh, Kate wants to talk to him, and Sawyer wants to go instead. Boys only. And then this happens. <laughs> oh. What the hell was that for? So you'd cowboy up. Crying in the jungle. Thought you people were supposed to be tough. Sawyer's <laughs> uh, so such a dick. He's such a dick. He's such a dick. He punches Carl in the arm and is like, don't flinch. So hard. He dead arms Carl <laughs> so hard. It's such a jerk move. And then, then uh, Carl responded like, a, I am tough. Like, it's yeah. such like an Anakin Skywalker way. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh about it, but like, there's something about Sawyer dead arming Carl in this episode that kills me uh, every time. Just yeah, like, well, like, poor Carl uh, has been like basically tortured <laughs> on the island thought he was away from it and then Sawyer just like sucker punches him yeah it's such a shitty thing to do he just knocks him so hard in the arm uh, and, uh, and he, well, he tells him to cowboy up which makes sense because Sawyer also has daddy issues so he just assumes yeah. like he has that in line as well yeah so I just I loved that moment so I wanted to pull the sound from that because it's it's another one of those like Sawyer punches that always land with such authority uh, and it sounds like you know just like a train yeah. hitting a cow well you no know, I mean that's just... the Saeed punch right that's the metallic yeah. clang that we got sure true 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 but it's just great I also love in this scene how I think this is the first time that Sawyer actually has to like dress down one of his nicknames right where he actually has to walk through without someone actually asking like wait what is that a reference to yeah, Bobby, uh, Bobby Brady. Uh, this scene feels like a deleted scene. It really does. I totally agree with that. 
Yeah, it just feels like a deleted scene, like the like the delivery of like I've been with a lot of girls. Some of them were worth the trouble, some of them not. Like it just feels like this was a scene written for Sawyer that was shot that didn't make it into an episode and you could watch it on the DVD, but here it is in an episode of Lost. I yeah, and uh, I, so and I will say to that perspective. One of the worst scenes of the episode for me. It's so it's weird. And I think that yeah. it's actually an interesting Sawyer scene. I think the best part of it is the at least it'll be worth it line. Because that also that you know, if we're talking about how the if the flashback is something that sort of like reinforces the character of Jack Shepard, this reinforces the character of Sawyer of like Yes, I'm an agent of chaos to a certain extent, but like I'm also kind of a romantic. Not as much of a from a Saeed perspective, but I certainly, if my heart gets involved, like I will sacrifice myself, which you would not expect out of my character. Uh, which I think is an interesting facet of the character that we have explored as recently as every man for himself when he does quite the opposite. But yeah, it's it's a weird interaction between the two. Like Sawyer and Carl had no interaction up to this point, even in a tale of two cities. Like Carl had two seconds with him, and that was it. So, so to see this relationship blossom, and from my memory, nothing comes of it. It's just a very very odd thing. Uh, there's a there's a line in here that I do really like. Every now and again, there's one you name dumb stars with. Like I just think that that's like another great Sawyerism for talking about. Like there's one that you really love. Yeah, it's a weird father son talk, but instead of your dad, it's this man you you just <laughs> met who punches you just, when he walks into a conversation. It just, it just dead armed the shit of you. Uh, at Hydra Island. Alex breaks a security camera. I think that was probably unnecessary. Well, I was uh, I was wondering. I was like, yeah, now I'm thinking, like, we just saw Carl. Like, Carl's escape plan, he very clearly should have broken the camera, if that clearly is a well, thing. Well, no, I mean, the thing is, is if you break the camera, uh, and the intent behind that is because, like, you don't want people to watch what you're doing, um, and, and you assume that somebody's watching you, you break the camera, and the person who's watching you is, at, if not himself or herself, is at least going to, like, send one of the other others to be like, hey, Alex just broke the camera. Can you go to the Hydra, to the polar bear cages? Mm, well, okay, so maybe pull a speed and, like, take some archival footage from, like, the day before and put it in, in place of the rock breaking. I like to imagine Dennis Hopper behind the security monitors. <laughs> R.I.P., but that would have been incredible. Uh, next episode, we're going to get into a, a vehicle that maybe has its own problems with speed. <laughs> Very interesting. This Dharma van cannot go under. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, going, it's not going over, I think, because it barely dun, moves. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Oh, my God. Call Jack Traven, uh, let alone Jack, uh, Jack Shepard. Uh, so there's some questions. She has, qu- like, why did you like why did you help my dad after everything? It's like, oh, you're the daughter. Uh, and then he has lots of questions for her. He'll answer your question. If you answer one of mine, uh, where's Juliet? She's like, we're going to read the verdict. We're probably going to kill her. It's eye for an eye type of stuff. Um and she, he, he asks like three different questions and then he finally like, I saved your father because I said <sighs> I would. Yeah, and I don't, I'm not a fan of this either because we're essentially. See, I like it. I like that. I feel, well, not the scene, but I like that line. I like that line, but I feel like we're just relitigating what we already saw happen two weeks ago, right? We don't need Jack to say again, I did this because I made this promise to Juliet. We already knew that happened. There, there's nothing really new in him telling Alex this. Well, that's not what he's saying. He's not. He didn't save Ben because he told Juliet he would. He would have killed Ben uh, if he did what Juliet wanted him to do. I saved your father because I said I would. Uh, because that's what he said he would do. Because that's, he's a man of his word. You know, that's something he's going to do. And Juliet was right when he's like, he's not going to let Ben die. There was no world where Jack was going to actively let Ben die on the table. It was total bluff. 100%. Yeah, but I would say that, again, we've seen that happen. Like, why do we need him to say it one more time? Sure. Fair enough. Um, 
So then they go, uh, Alex takes Jack out of the cage. This episode has like some great scenes that like get you to commercial. Uh, mm-hmm. I like Jack being like, get me out of this cage, slam, smash, lost noise, and then you go into commercial. Uh, I enjoyed that. I think that's good. Um, yes. Jack, Jack goes to, to Ben. The dude's looking at his stitches. And ben, like, I think after this, he's very paranoid about, like, never put me to sleep again. Ever again. So he is just yeah. fully anesthetized, just sitting there, open, gaping wound, being like, all right, I'm awake during this. It's worth it. Short of the times that he'll be knocked unconscious, and those times are coming. Benjamin Linus will never sleep again. Uh, Jack shows up. He's like, dude, don't. Looking at the guy who's about to, like, check out his uh, his infected yeah, uh, and stitches. And I guess from that perspective, like, they did not expect Jack to, to help. They had someone else come in, it seems. I don't, someone else was doing the stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I think this is unlike the Ben Surger where they're like, Jack's going to do it no matter what. Like, I think they legitimately are like, well... Jack Shepard's out on us. I guess we'll sort of move forward with the, you know, the C third string group that we have here from a medical squad. All right. So is this a necessary scene? Maybe not. But is it a scene that I really like? Yes, it is. Because I love it when Matthew Fox and Michael Emerson are together. An underrated pair on Lost. Let's hear Ben and Jack hash things out. Much more impressed with you people if you had a good surgeon. We had an excellent surgeon, Jack. His name was Ethan. Had a very serious infection, Ben. That infected tissue needs to be reincised, debrided, and you need to be very closely monitored from here on out. There might be nerve damage or any number of other complications. You might not walk again. Your bedside manner leaves something to be desired, Jack. Well, then, it's too bad you're stuck with me. Am I? You need a doctor, Ben. Someone to stay with you. Bring you back to good health. And here we go again. I've already given you a ticket off this island, Jack. What's it going to cost me this time? Right now, your people are in a room deciding whether or not to execute Juliet. You're going to stop it. Juliet doesn't care about you, Jack. Doesn't matter what she's done. No matter what you think. She's one of us. Does Isabel have a walkie? They're already in the meeting. Then get me something to write on. You can write on my back. Atra will. (laughs) (laughs) Write on my forearm. I'll get it tattooed. Wait, stop. Look at this tattoo. (laughs) Yeah, what do you think of what I got here? Uh, I just like the two of them together. I just wanted to hear them together. I enjoyed Michael Emerson and Matthew Fox together a lot. I think an interesting 
highlight of the first six episodes was the shifting power dynamic between Jack and Ben. Uh, mm-hmm. Ben's the one in charge of the others, but Jack was the one who held the true power because he had the scalpel. He was the one that needed to do something to save Ben's life. And we get that a little bit here, too. I like the digging line of Jack telling Ben, like, you need to be closely monitored. Like, that's a fun little take on the fact that Jack has been living in his, his own situation of being closely monitored. So he has a chance to wield that power for a second. Maybe this is a moment that I'm looking too much into, Josh. When Jack talks about Juliet being on trial, Michael Emerson makes a face. I can't tell. Is Ben surprised that Juliet is on trial? Or is is it that, like, you know, the, that something hasn't happened to her yet? Or is it just, like, a random shot that they happen to put into the scene? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. Because you would imagine if, you know, if we were ta- what we were talking about before, if this was this draconian measure was something that Ben instituted, that he would automatically assume what happened. So I, I just wonder what facet of Jack's revelation, like, surprised him at all. Well, maybe he just hadn't really considered it. Maybe he's, like, a little bit out of it and a little focused on, like, I'm probably going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, this doesn't seem great. Uh, and like he doesn't have like the physical ability right now to like go and see Jack and try to do his thing to like talk him into it. You know, he's low on options. He's pretty desperate right now. Um, so, you know, he just might not be thinking clearly. Um, so it would, wouldn't surprise me if that was a surprise or it also wouldn't surprise me if one of Ben's tactics is to like get Jack hip to the idea that something bad is going to happen to Juliet, mm. and maybe he's going to be willing to do something spurred on by that. So, but from that capacity, though, then is the whole comment Juliet doesn't care about you? Is that reverse psychology, mm-hmm. yeah. or is that, or is that just try, him trying to remove Jack from the love triangle that Ben has tried to set up here? Yeah, I think that you could you could write it, you could read it both ways. Uh, I think that there's like he's like uh, trying to reverse psychology him, or he's like earnestly surprised by all of this. I think both of those reads can coexist. I think it would be interesting because I think, you know, if these first six episodes have been a questioning of who is Ben as the leader of the others, and this is another facet where, like, there could be an interesting thing, and again, maybe a mark against this episode is they don't really go down that path of, like, if for some reason the character of Isabel or someone, like, undermines Ben, almost like Pickett did in Not in Portland, right? Like, made a decision against Ben's wishes and decided to hold this trial. Uh, you know, how Ben reacts to that and how he would try to carry it out. I think that's an interesting facet of the others that would also sort of, again, speak to the weird inner struggle that goes on in being an other in your day today. Uh, flashback time. Uh, the penultimate flashback of the episode. Uh, Jack's on the streets. He's followed Atra. He is literally stalking Atra. A page Stoctra. out of... You know, it's a page out of the 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 uh, Tale of Two Cities playbook, yeah, right? And, like this and Looking is, Glass as well. And I think the main connector is the him housing the bottle of alcohol out of the brown bag. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he needs the paper bag, but maybe that just helps it read. I don't know, more I don't know what, if there were open carry laws in Thailand. I think I think he probably would be fine, but you know, it, it reads that way. Um, so he follows Atra and he goes into Atra's home, and this is really. You know, it's not it's not that like the Jack's tattoos is such like, a you know, it's it's that it's really this is very, very, very dark and ugly. I don't like what's about to happen. Let's listen. You following me. What is all this? This is where I work and you shouldn't be here. Is, uh, 
A tattoo parlor, that was your big secret? The envelopes? Your gift? I am not a tattoo artist. I'm able to see who people are. My work is not decoration. It is that finish. And this, this is my gift. So, you see who people are? Yes. And I mark them. So tell me who I am. No. Why not? You are an outsider. So you can sleep with me. I'm not allowed. Do you see who I am, Hadra? Yes. Who am I? You are a leader. A great man. But this... This makes you lonely. I mean, it's dark. He said, and it's also very uh, dimly lit. I think maybe if if you want to get a good tattoo, turn the lights on. I would say that's the first step. Here, okay. Here's the thing. Honestly, um, the the section of the scene, we can speak to the darkness of it, but I'll be completely honest. The whole thing about I'm able to see who people are. My gift is not decoration; is definition. In my opinion is the stupidest thing that's been said on Lost up to this date. Wow. Why? It's just so cheesy, in my opinion. Like, it's straight out of, like, really chintzy sci-fi of, like, well, what I paint doesn't... I'm not just painting trees. I'm painting who we are. You know, Mm. like, it has that very over-the-top, stereotypical quality to it. And if you look at it a different way, it's like really oddly, almost super heroic, almost like in an Isaac Mendes quality of like, <laughs> I see, I see <laughs> I into your that. truest heart's yeah. desire and tattoo you. Like, that's whack. But that Lost sounds stupidly use, but, whack. But, but 
But Lost is a universe where superpowers exist. Yeah, sure. but, it, but, yeah, yeah. but it's a stupid super. But for, I mean, listen, if I have to travel through time or control animals or tattoo uh, what a person is, like, that but one But she's gets- clarifying that it's not that she's a tattoo artist. She is somebody who sees who you are, and she shows you who you are via tattoo. Um, that is the, the, the mechanism with which she tells you who you are. But when, she, when Jack asks her to tell me who I am, she reads him for exactly who he is. You're a great man, a leader, but this makes you angry and lonely and bitter and terrible and mean and unfriendly. And you, I mean, she doesn't go all the way through all of those lists, but she gets, she reads Jack the book. The right. Book of Jack, but the question sure. is, is it truly a gift or is it just from hanging out with him for a month? That you get that perception. Well, maybe it's that. Maybe it's that. Totally possible. I mean, a lot of the things on Lost are often like, uh, is the psychic really psychic or is he a con artist? You yeah, know? exactly. She, uh, is she the Richard, the Thai Richard yeah, Malkin? The, uh, the Richard, the Achira Malkin. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, you know, I, it's not impossible, right? But I think, like, uh, this is abuse. Jack coming in here and breaking into her home and like making her like do something that is like against her, whether it's like the like within her like community, it's against the code or it's against her own personal code. Either way, it's something she very clearly doesn't want to do. He's like holding her. He's like moving her around the room. This is very, 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 very bad. And Jack Shepard is a problematic guy. And Jack Shepard needs to be to be called out (laughs) for, for this type of stuff. Because I think it it is it is a huge piece of the full Jack Shepard arc that he is um he's the asshole disguised as a hero. You know, I've said that before. Like uh Sawyer's the hero disguised as an asshole and Jack's the asshole disguised as a hero, and they're to a certain extent ships in the night on the show on on that journey. Uh and I think that they are able to, you know, get to both places that are like relatively comfortable resting points but like you have to take into account a lot of like the baggage that they have along the way and like with the time travel rules being what they are on lost you can't go back and change anything whatever happened happened all you can do is what can you do moving forward and for jack you know we'll talk about whether or not the answers for that are ultimately satisfying the longer we do this podcast but add this to the list of very bad things that Jack Shepard has done when he has like this moral superiority this righteousness this my way or the highway attitude about him um that everything that i do is black and white right or wrong it's all logic um and yet he is like he is very emotionally volatile he's very um entitled he is somebody who um will uh will literally like shake you into submission which is what he does here it's very 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 bad that being said i still think the bottom most jack shepherd moment comes when he fights his dad during his dad's aa meeting that to me still i think rings a lower pit than what he does here maybe it's just because again atra is a one episode character and so i care about her inherently less than the arc that christian shepherd had but like that to me is still the pits why does why does jack get the tattoo because I, I do wonder from a certain extent, like how much of it is, uh, oh, what a cool idea. I want to, you know, have who I am tattooed on me. How much of it is I got tricked once again. You know, I always want a reminder almost as penance for, you know, the, the fact that I have these sins that I can't help buying into. Why does Jack ultimately get the tattoo as forcefully as he does? He is, you know, a guy who is very unhappy. 
He's reeling from his divorce. We saw how that went. It wasn't going great. He's been drinking more. He's on this trip of self-discovery. We get the sense, at least in one scene here, that his drinking habit remains, right? Like, that is still going. I think there's a lot of self-loathing with him and a lot of this feeling of, like, his life is out of control. His life is out of his control. What's happening to him in this whole series of sequences in Thailand is the same as what's happening to him on Hydra Island. He has no power over his life right now. It goes beyond what's happening in Thailand. It's, it's really deeply connected to, like, he lost his wife. He's like estranged himself from his father. He's, a stranger he's, in a strange land. You know, he's untethered himself from his bedrock. Uh, and I think like here once again, yeah, like he's finding like some kind of secret, some sort of thing that he's being excluded from. And he's done being excluded from stuff. Uh, so I think it, it, it reads that way to me as to why he does it. That it's like there is an impulsivity to Jack sometimes when he gets like, when he gets his mindset on a thing, he doesn't really unstick it. So maybe in this moment, he's like, just mark me. And everything that you just said about me feels very, very real. Yeah. You know, he internalizes. Yeah, that. I think it's, it's something to a certain extent of like, well, I thought I could escape this, my life. I can't. So I, I'm going to carry it with me. It is might as well be emblazoned on his skin. I mean, I'll be completely honest. That's not necessarily the purpose of tattoos, which again is why I find the whole Atra tattoo thing so stupid. Uh, but I think that, you know, I guess if you have to come up with a reason why, I don't think it's not great that they immediately go from the scene to like a close up on the tattoo to be like, that's the tattoo. <laughs> that's the one we're speaking about. Yeah, yeah. Remember the one that we showed you in the beginning of the show? So we got to tell you about Jack's tattoos. Like the logic behind why this episode exists is ridiculous. Yeah, also, I, I could imagine <laughs> that when, ridiculous. when Atra calls Jack a leader and a great man, somewhere like Charles Winmore had his like spidey sense come off like jack shepherd i've got to remember mm, that name. he's I a great remember, man i owe him yeah. some mccutcheon yeah okay we'll, we'll do shots um all right so jack's got the tattoo there it is uh back on the island jack and alex they storm the gates and isabel's like what's going on alex uh and she gets the note execution off the table on the table branding yeah and it's bad it's uncreative you're a hundred percent right i just think it's in character with uh the type of person that ben is as the leader of the others but it is yeah they could have it is this is clearly like well we just gotta like link this to the jack's tattoo stuff so we'll just brand her yeah, but, and, yeah and the brand well, it's also, it's also, much better it also doesn't this. help that it's a symbol that like is really not associated with the show as well. So, like, there's been some discussion about it. Some say that her Julia, her mark resembles, like, the alchemic mark for spirit. Uh, it's an eight-point star, which those of you that are fans of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade know it's, that was an insignia worn by the protectors of the Holy Grail. Uh, so there's sort of that simulation of, like, resurrection and rebirth and renewal. But it just seems so random, <laughs> especially, again, in retrospect, when it's like, I can't remember if Juliet's, you know, mark gets brought up at another point in time. Uh, uh, but, Not that I remember. Yeah, but yeah. It, it just seems like just a random facet of otherdom that goes completely unmentioned the rest of the time here on the show. Yeah, uh, uncreative. Uh, totally with you. I think I think it's in character with with the with Ben's leadership style that this would happen, and like Ben being just like a disturbed person. Uh, but it's it's stupid. Uh, well, then if been, he's a disturbed person, he should have branded her with property of Ben Linus. <laughs> oh God! Uh, final flashback. Jack gets his ass kicked by Chet. <laughs> Chet and his bros. Chet and, Chet and the pod. And they're like, they Jack. are seriously farcusing him. Like, they are yeah, just he, jumping him. 
Yes, Jack gets his ass kicked the way that he got his ass kicked as a kid in the very first White Rabbit flashback. Jack's getting his ass kicked the way that he's going to kick Ben's ass at the end of the season. Just pay it forward, man. Just like, He yeah. does have what it takes. Yeah, and I feel like, for me, the way that I read this these days, when I when I revisit Stranger in a Strange Land, certainly this time, is like less about like uh, you uh, like broke our culture and more like, Yo, you like assaulted my sister. Like, get out of here. Like, you're lucky that I'm just stopping short of the ass whooping. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's more personal than it is like cultural. Because I will also say, I would love for someone, especially of Thai descent, to write in about this episode. Because I, I really also do wonder, like, how much of this is culturally insensitive in terms of portraying this it's particular a gr- culture? It's a great question. Yeah. And I have no answer. Cause like, I, I, no, yeah, I don't know. I, I'll admit I'm very, you know, uh, I'm very ignorant in terms of like how much spirituality plays into Thai culture. And like, is this brought in as like the, the unfortunate mystic Asian stereotype and they decided to bring it in that way. Is that true or not? So it, I, that could also help or hurt the episode as well. But I think maybe a much more palatable meaning is to your point that Chet's like, wait, you did what to my sister? Get the hell right. out of here. Yeah, totally, totally. Absolutely. And all very fair. And Atra is like watching from a distance and she's crying and walking away. And like there's the read of like, oh, they I wish that they didn't do that to Jack and they didn't have to banish Jack. And then there's the other read of like, good. He got what he deserved. And I never want to see him again. And it was emotional to watch. Uh I think I view it that way. Or I, I, I gotta it- get a haircut. I've been wearing no. this weird Rachel do for too long. You know, she's mad. She doesn't like it. Uh, back on the island, Juliet comes to Jack. Uh, I heard you like him grilled. And he says, I miss the tooth. And she, she says, oh, like your lower back. Nice and grilled. Yeah, he put he gets her. He makes her get an aloe plant so he can aloe her back. Uh, and they come up with a pact, right? We're going to do this together. We're going home. We're getting out of here. But for now, they're going to what Ben calls home. They're leaving Hydra Island. Yeah, so if there is, again, like one thing that moves the chains forward in terms of plot is that Jack and Juliet are now working together after sort of like being pretty separate in, uh, you know, basically since Jack kind of went rogue on the surgery that Juliet is seemingly going to be on Jack's side, even though we're still going to have some episodes like left behind where she's still working for Ben, even though her her spirituality is more so with 815. Uh, Sawyer comes back to Kate. Carl's gone. He's a target. If we're being uh, sought after, they're going to want to go for Carl sooner than they're going to want to come for us. Uh, is that really the reason why you let Carl go? No, I think, is, was it part of the calculus, maybe? It's sentimentality. I think I think Sawyer's like, I see what this guy wants, and like, the, we're, we can't drag him kicking and screaming for so long. Like, Let's just let him go. Plus, he does have a good point that they're... I mean, they might be after them to a certain extent, but they also are after Carl. Maybe Carl will serve as a nice distraction. I just have this image of like Carl being a tied-up dog, and Sawyer just like letting his leash go, and just Carl running off into the jungle like a puppy. Yeah. There's some revealing stuff here when they when when Kate's like, should I walk beside you or ten paces behind? I think it's totally fair. Like Sawyer's kind of marching her around. Are there uh, two sets of footprints or just one in the dirt? You know, and she he, he's talking about like uh you know, don't feel you know, don't get into a fight with me because you're feeling guilty. She's like, I don't feel guilty, we didn't have a choice. And then he's like, That's not what I'm talking about, leaving Jack. I'm talking about you and me. I know you only got with me because you thought I was dead. Don't beat yourself up about it. Uh, and she says, I'm not, I'm not beating myself up. Uh, and so like, I feel like this is revealing in like, Kate's not telling him he's wrong. Sawyer is like showing like sort of like his raw wound about this complex he has of like, he can't be loved, right? He doesn't deserve anything good. 
and I think for Kate, like, does it further the question of like, does she was was like, does she actually have those feelings for him, or is it something where uh, you know she is uh, you know that that it was what Sawyer says? Like, I think like it's left enigmatic in in that realm. From that capacity, though, I mean, do you feel? Kate is reasonable in her frustration towards Sawyer. Do we think that he has been bossing her around, quote unquote, and, you know, treating her differently than normally? Yeah, I think that he hasn't been like, you know, he he's like, we're going we're, we're not going back. We're not going back to the beach. I'm talking to Carl. I made the choice to let Carl go. Kate has no agency in any of this. And even if like there are re- there's validate, you know, validity to some of Sawyer's choices here. Yeah, it's not like talking any of it through with Kate. She's getting no say in the, in any of these matters at all. Though, true, though, I think Sawyer also has reasons behind it. Like it's not just the we're doing this because I'm saying that we're doing it. Something like Jack or Locke might do. But I think, again, to the point that I made before, I think Kate's mind especially is clouded uh we she again thinks that that's the last time she's going to see jack and as you mentioned she certainly has at least some kindling of feelings for him if not an outright flame so it makes sense that her mind is sort of an ocean away or an ocean apart uh hey. from, from a certain perspective but i don't know it's i i don't think it's a, a great kate episode in my opinion all right well you said it an ocean apart an oceans apart is the name of the juliet theme uh, which I'm sure Jim Fells talks about a lot in the music analysis this week. Yes, a lot. So again, this is is this is Juliet's infamous theme. It's going to pop up a lot. I think the scenes that they really focus around is going to be ultimately the death of Juliet during the incident, and then really the actual death in LAX. Basically, it's it's associated with like anything around either the memory of Juliet or Juliet herself. This theme is going to pop up. So we yeah. are just at the tip of the iceberg here. So we are, you know, the the episode is going to end with this big montage. It's going to start with Isabel talking to Jack about his tattoos and like, can you walk among us? You're not one of us. And he's that's what they say. It's not what they mean. Uh, well, actually, uh, what it means technically is in, I don't know if we have this in another, but isn't it that like, it's actually a, a poem uh, from a Chinese poet that says, Eagle strike ah. the wide sky and not even like, anything about he walks amongst us but he is not one of us no i had no idea but uh i i I believe you on that that you know uh but there's the montage of leaving hydra island and jack and everybody like getting bent on the boat and sawyer and kate's tension they have a giant boat in their possession why do they not take the elizabeth (laughs) i don't know they 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 just you know they want to use it for other stuff uh there's there's sawyer and kate uh and the and the tension that they're feeling um, you get the sense that Jack and Juliet, they're going through something similar. Carl and Alex are having their fival moment, like you say, somewhere out there looking at, at the sky. And I believe this to be a great montage. And I believe that this to be an all-time music moment on Lost. And th- those are the pictures to paint. And now just visualize that stuff. Close your and, eyes. And, and listen to the scene once again. Also, please don't close your eyes if you're driving while listening to this. He walks amongst us, but he is not one of us. Your tattoos, that's what they say. That's what they say. It's not what they mean. 
beautifully, it ends on an unresolved note, which I yep. think is just incredibly thematic. Uh, this episode doesn't deserve that final song to be the last, <laughs> but it has it. You're absolutely right. <laughs> totally unearned. <laughs> a million percent. A hundred and eight thousand percent. I do not disagree, but it does have but it. It has it, yeah. It has it. It has, like, one of the best final montage, like, music moments of, like, the whole show. <laughs> How can you score this episode a zero? Yeah. With this in there. Yeah. It, you can't. It's, I don't think you can. I mean, if you're tra- or at least I certainly could never entertain that. I mean, if you're talking um, historic, this is a historic song in Lost that makes its debut in this episode. Yeah, in Stranger in a Gosh Darn Strange <laughs> Land, here comes the Oceans Apart, which is an all-time Giacchino score. Uh, it's just so good. It's so good, and it's so evocative, and it makes you feel so much for so many of the different characters on the show. This uh, earworms me with regularity. Mm. Oceans apart, uh, as probably like you know, what are the what are the pieces of of the lost score that you that you think about the most? And like, there's life and death is a very obvious one. Hollywood and vines comes to mind. Um, you know, and then like all of like the, the different like tracks that are, that are found throughout it. But Oceans Apart is like a top contender for me. I think yeah. about this. I mean, I, I would say Oceans Apart is a Mount Rushmore lost theme. A, a top four? Like I, I could, I could certainly entertain the conversation. I mean, there's just so many that it's very hard to come maybe, up with. Maybe Mount I think Rushmore. it also helps with like associated memories. Like Oceans Apart is going to play when Juliet and Sawyer go Dutch in the finale yeah, right and like exactly. that's a moment that you associate with exactly the theme. exactly so how could this be a flat zero with oceans apart in it um hard, hard for me to 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 sign off on that even if i know and i acknowledge that uh you know i'm i'm stretching my my muscles here to to really go out of my way to say that this is not uh you know uh, as bad as it's remembered it's not good <laughs> It's not a great episode of Lost. Especially following all the praise that we lauded onto Flashes before your eyes. It's a tough drop. It's a roller coaster-esque drop. Yeah, yeah. But look at how much conversation we've already had about it. Um, let's let's turn it to uh, to to the listeners. Um, we put out a poll on Post Show Recaps. Is this the worst episode of Lost? Uh, split perfectly evenly. Oh, 50% wow. yes, 50% no. Um, some arguments in favor of this being the worst episode of Lost. This is from the Ben Behind the Curtain. Uh, ben says, Isabel is the single worst character in the entire show. The plot line of Juliet being branded belongs in another show entirely, especially when they bring the kids to watch. It brings a level of cultishness to the others that I find so off-putting as to undermine any effort to make them sympathetic. So Somehow Jack's tattoos are the best part of the episode. I think there's literally nothing in the episode that the show wouldn't be better off for not having. So I fully disagree with all of that from Ben. I mean, I would definitely um, disagree, especially that Jack's tattoos are the best part of the episode. Because I think while the flashback is not like bottom of the barrel, I mean, it is probably bottom of the barrel. It's not the outright worst. It's, a, it's in the conversation for sure. I though. Mean, it's, yeah. it's definitely worse, but not worse than like makes you feel just like. I I don't know I I I would think like a I blah, 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 I'm just babbling. Homecoming. No, I get it. Homecoming. I think has one of the worst flashbacks ever. Yes, absolutely. There's a point to the flashback to Stranger in a Strange Land, like that. Whether or not it landed, there is a point behind it that is absent from some of these other episodes. Exactly. Uh, like, homecoming is Homecoming is an excellent example of that. Yeah, where it's just like 
Yes, you know, there is an, there's a theme and an intention behind it. Granted, it's not a new thing that we find out about the character, which you imagine that the flashback should do. But if you look at like further instructions, homecoming, fire plus water, they're all guilty of that as well. So if it's, if it's a sin that Stranger in Strange Land is guilty of, it edges those out a bit in that like, it at least does not denigrate the character further like we see in those episodes flashbacks. Um, Susan B writes in, while an argument can be made for several episodes to win the distinction of worst episode ever to me this one edges the others out because the way jack forces byling to tattoo him against her will is unsettling at best and i totally agree with that uh i completely agree with with how unsettling that scene is i think for my read of a character for my read of the character of jack is that he is like a very very difficult person to find sympathy and empathy for in a lot of ways like some of the decisions he makes are just like cancel that man forever Mm -hmm. you know like um and i think that lost is a a show that questions notions of notions of redemption um can someone be redeemed does that matter does it only matter if you've done bad things does it matter if you can be redeemed or is what matters like that you can still do something good yeah i always find that interesting in characters i think that jack is an interesting example of that he's a very unlikable guy I think he's a very unlikable character, um, and that is foundational to my appreciation of the character. But whether or not that's, there's intentionality behind that, I think that there's probably a lot more like sentimentality surrounding Jack Shepard as a character within the writer's room mm-hmm. of Lost. And I, it's not that I like don't have sentimentality surrounding him because he's Jack Shepard. He's the leading man of Lost. Um, but it is like it's mostly rooted in he's, he's one of the hardest characters to, to, to find a measure of peace with because he can be so unlikable. He can be so difficult. He could be so stubborn. He could be abusive and he's a gaslighter. Uh, and he's somebody who, um, like is willing himself into the central role of the story. And I think like the place that he finds himself in is like, you know, he tries to, to, to get to a place where like, this isn't about control for me. It's about like, if, if I have, if I have control issues, are there a way, is there a way that like, the world can like use my like control complex for the better. Like, I think that that's something that's uh, approaches where they go with Jack. Yeah. Or, but, well, but he's a complicated like, person to, to distill down into one conversation. Those to a certain extent, I think he's able to let things go at the end. And that speaks to maybe him overcoming some of those control issues. Though I do agree. It's, I wouldn't say like two steps forward and one step back with him. It's almost just like he's doing some sort of odd Argentine tango where he's just taking, you think he's going in the run direction and he suddenly takes a few steps that sort of throw off your balance a bit with the character. But I agree with you that I think you find Jack Shepard much more palatable and interesting as a character to dissect if you do not look at him through the lens of like, this is our leading man. Because I think that leading men certainly have stereotypes lumped into them, right? Of like, burly all good, you know, really, uh, you know, prideful to a certain extent, but also loving. But it's way more interesting to me to take those stereotypes and turn them on their head, not in the style of, like, Homelander from The Boys, because that's, like, the extreme, but certainly on that spectrum of, like, yeah, when you have this guy who has a lot of pressure on him, but also has a lot of, you know, resume points under his name, how is that going to approach his ego and his control issues? I think Jack is an extremely interesting character to tuck into, and not everything you're going to say about him is good but that also makes him a person and not just a character yeah 
he's a, he's a fascinating person to me. Um, some some rejections of the idea that this is the worst episode of Lost from Down. Servo, is it just the cool or popular thing to hate on this episode and to call this episode the worst episode? A common internet trend is after a few people start hating on something, everyone else just follows. Is that the case with this episode? I, I we'll stop you right there and say that uh, it was not it was not just a few people at the time who called this the worst episode of Lost. It was a tidal wave, a tsunami of negativity following this episode. Uh, Down continues. I don't think there are any truly terrible episodes of Lost. There's something good in every episode, and so it's impossible for me to rate any episode of Flat Zero. The episode has some great acting from pretty much everyone, besides Isabel. Michael Giacchino's score is incredible, and the island stuff is pretty interesting, despite the fact that we never hear about Juliet's mark ever again. Um, so that's from Dallin. And then Just Joe says, It's not the worst because, as Josh has said, at least Stranger in a Strange Land helps set up the twist in the season finale. As opposed to an episode like Fire Plus Water, which I think is worse. And like the log line that I have been bandying about, Mike, is like Stranger in a Strange Land has utility. And the rewatch this week uh, also added for me, like there are components to this episode that I actually genuinely really appreciate. Yeah, I think there are. I think it gets a bit uh, broad brushed of like every single facet of this episode is bad. But there is some genuine good. It's just that the bad has become much more memorable and sticks out over the years that I I do think maybe I would not say it gets a completely unfair rep, but I think there are, you know, people that call this from minute one to the final second, you know, terrible beyond belief. I think that's not true. Plainly speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mike, we just found out about Jack's tattoos. Uh, How about yours? Yeah, well, so mine means uh, Eagle Sky Fly with Biling. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, there are people who listen to this podcast who don't know anything about the uh, the the Survivor shenanigans that we get into <laughs> oh, and they're, sometimes and they're over at uh, over at Rob has a podcast. Um, and uh, you recently embarked on a tattoo journey that is deeply linked to Survivor. Uh, give us the spiel on how that all went down, uh, what it meant, what it means, the whole process, because you just got the tattoo. Yeah, so I just got the tattoo. Uh, the ink was pressed onto my skin last week. Luckily, less, much less painful of a process from what Atra had to do was essentially like take a mallet and like pound the ink into Jack's skin. That feels much more rudimentary. So let's flash back to May of 2020. Admittedly, uh, I am someone who, albeit has a very limited platform, um, but I struggled and I still struggle to this day with like, how do you use that voice, no matter what size it is, to do something good? Because there is so much good that we can do in this world. And, you know, I was looking at the efforts that you were doing, for example, Josh, you know, buying all of the the T-shirts from uh, from, you know, the, the Stacey title and Jonathan Penner charity foundation i thought was just a brilliant thing and so you know nice and good and i was thinking like all right i want to be able to make my unique mark in the world today (laughs) how do i do that so and then you're like mark hmm." hmm, but so there was an episode of survivor uh winners at war in which one contestant denise stapley had talked about how formative this particular experience was for her and she said you know what i'm someone who doesn't get tattoos but i'm going to get two tattoos on my wrist one says endure and one says let go and i happened to be on the podcast that week with uh, our podcast jacob here on rhap rob cesarino who was on a couple weeks ago with akiva wieneker and at the time, Rob, whose wife uh, is a nurse, had been really doing the the Jacobs work in make creating his own, you know, 
fundraising campaign to raise money for PPE for people on the front lines who still so desperately need it even months after the fact. Yeah. And I don't know how the idea came to mind, but being inspired by Denise's efforts combined with somehow seeing this as an opportunity, I told Rob, I guess if I'm going to use my platform, my skin is part of my platform. Please don't p- quote that and put that somewhere. That's very weird taking out of context. Uh, but I told Rob, you have this charity going on. If this reaches a certain threshold of money... I am going to get a survivor theme tattoo. I mean, Survivor is such a formative show for both you and me, uh, losses as well. And to be honest, you know, it's something I'd always thought about as maybe a pipe dream. My wife, Angela, has uh, had three, now has four tattoos because she got her fourth tattoo alongside me. So it was something that was always like pretty normalized to me, uh, this idea of like, yeah, I mean, you can get a tattoo and it, it you just sort of are the same person. It's just now you have uh, something inked on your skin. You don't fundamentally change who you are just based on getting a tattoo. I know that's completely logical speaking, but considering my own anxious brain, I for some reason thought that like getting a tattoo would mean that you'd fundamentally change who you are as a person. Unlike Jack Shepard, who wanted a tattoo as a reminder of how he'll never change as a person, essentially. Uh, so I made that declaration. Suffice it to say that goal was met and surpassed, uh, but we decided to add in a little bit of a creative caveat. Now, Josh, you and I are no strangers in a strange land to the concept of a Brant Steels. Uh, for those of you that have not checked it out before, essentially a Brant Steel is like a survivor simulation that can get run by an AI. You essentially just plug in all the players and they simulate a survivor season for you. It's a ridiculous amount of fun. We have done so many, including a couple of lost ones in the past. So we did it under the condition that the tattoo idea, what I would get permanently etched into my body, would be determined through a brand steel. Because look, maybe there's an Eloise Hawking out there somewhere basically saying, like, look, there are so many options out there, but it's always going to be one. You know, you are fated to get this particular tattoo, but let's have fun while we're doing it. So you and I got together, or new, uh, Rob and I got together with the great Jessica Lees, who is the tattoo expert on RHAP. She fashions herself some ink, including an RHAP bell tattoo, which is awesome on her own wrist. She also is a big fan of the, I believe, now concluded tattoo reality series Ink Master. So she helped curate a lot of fan suggestions uh, as to the survivor tattoo that I I would get eventually we stumbled upon 16 ideas or i guess 15 including one trolley no tattoo idea put them in a survivor season and i did not get enduring let go but the winner ended up being uh, a similar type of phrase which is very common to every survivor season outwit outplay outlast and so that was decided back in july after that, it was a couple of months of just being in the process of getting everything together. Uh, I made an appointment, uh, you know, uh, to get it done a couple of months down the line. I worked with the great sublime Sean Yanel, who yes. you, you probably checked out his work on Twitter. He did the animated versions of the, uh, of the down the hatch, uh, or what was it? Tales from the, yeah, the, the lost RPG, yeah, the lost RPG. He basically, uh, he, he animated Billy Wallace and Ronnie, uh, Sesto in such fantastic glory. Uh, so I highly recommend people check that out, but I worked with him. He had actually done a couple of designs for me, uh, for that initial round. So I worked with him on a final design. I ended up going to, uh, someone I cannot recommend highly enough. Uh, Sarah Ward, I believe it's called the, the little wolf 
tattoo place, uh, which is in upstate New York. And yes, I did have something mysterious done in upstate New York, and Mm -hmm. I came back alive. (laughs) But it all ended up happening last Thursday. So around my arm in a band... Uh, I guess fully circling itself like the Ouroboros is outwit, outplay, outlast, but it's not just ordinary one. one. It's, it's sort of done in my own individualized style. So like, for example, the eye and outwit is a microphone because not only is it something that I commonly talk to for hours at a time during the day, but also my name is Mike. Uh, the outplay. I heard that. Yeah. The outplay <laughs> is uh, firmly. Uh, you know, wrapped around by a tentacle, which uh, represents Sir Squiddington, which is probably one of the most beloved bit characters that Rob Sesternino and I have come up come up with in our near decade podcasting together. And then out last, I made the O, uh, an immunity idol, but not just any immunity idol. Josh, you and I had the pleasure of going out to set on Survivor together last year, and we each had the ability to pick an immunity idol that would actually show up in the game. I essentially picked the stranger in a strange land of immunity idols, and that it was janky and all sorts of weird, and people were saying, what is that doing here? And so it got animated or illustrated and placed on my arm as well. So the time of recording this, we're actually a week removed from me having a tattoo. I could not be more in love with it. it it's something I never thought I needed. And Josh, now I, I sort of have been bitten by the bug to the point where... You're getting sleeves. There, yeah, I mean, not sleeves, but there is a... There is a completely realistic possibility that I'll say in the next 10 years, I would get a lost theme tattoo somewhere That's in my awesome. body. That's amazing. Well, uh, hopefully Down the Hatch makes it 10 years so that we can uh, be participants so yeah, l- in the, less, the like, process. Much less like a salty, <laughs> much less cultural appropriation than Jack's yeah. tattoo stories. But yeah, this is a weird thing where the Lost Universe and our universes end up lining up very, very well in yeah. that, you know, I got myself tattooed and a few days later I got to sit down and watch Jack get tattooed as well. And, I mean, the timing on it's ridiculous. Yeah, a good thing we <laughs> skipped those couple of weeks. <laughs> the timing is crazy. That Yeah, you got, you got tattooed tattooed in that night we recorded flashes before your eyes uh so this is very very fresh very recent uh no it's amazing it, uh, my my wife is really interested in getting a tattoo at some point in time uh and just like her even like considering it has has uh made me think about it in a way that I, I just like had never even considered doing it before it was just not something i've ever been interested in doing um who knows life is long hopefully you know if things go the right way uh and things can things can happen uh i uh i love that though yeah. i mean you're crazy person I'm, but oh, I'm, I'm an insane person let's be real like people should not ordinarily do this but it was sort of this weird thing of you know feeling no the, the spirit moved you yeah, like you felt like i, I felt, felt moved in calling. that moment you know yeah. being creatively fulfilled hopefully using my platform in a weird way to help a very real cause but then also getting a memento that represents so much to me because that's the thing as well is even outside of how individualized this tattoo is my god does this thing have a story much yeah, more worthy sure. than the trip to yes. Thailand, but this is essentially a tattoo that got thousands of dollars of PPE that created countless hours of a podcast hopeful entertainment. Like there is so much weighted within, you know, these three words that it, it honestly does make my heart sore, like an eagle yeah. to the sky. Yeah, you did incredible stuff and like you can always look down at your arm and remember that. Um it's great. It's amazing. It's definitely a better story than 
<laughs> than the Jack Flashback. Yeah, or, or sure. even the Juliet brand. Uh, no question about it. Um, all right. Well, let's start wrapping up the podcast. Let's do the MVP LVPs. Um, you've got three MVPs. I've got two. I've got three LVPs. You've got two. I, I see you're going to give an MVP to Jack, and I'm going to take an LVP to Jack. So we're just canceling Jack out right Yeah. Now. I mean, that's the thing. Jack, Flashback Jack, Flash the Jack. Wash. Really bad this episode. Very bad. On the other hand, Jack saves Juliet's life. Uh, uh-huh. and, I feel, and it does also save Ben's life in a manner of speaking that I'm assuming he fixes his stitches. We don't exactly get a resolution to that, but that's my assumption. So, uh, so good on him and on the island, off island, not so much. Uh, I'll give an MVP to Juliet as the avatar of uh, the uh, the Incredible Oceans Apart, uh, as the person standing at the center of the, the characters through which that song is created. Uh, for if for nothing else, and also for uh, for for weathering what she weathers in this episode the way that she does, and for sort of uh, getting away with murder, quite literally. <laughs> Yes, correct. Um, I'm going to give a point to Sawyer here. I know that he was a bit bullheaded when it came to approaching the Kate stuff, but as weird as the scene is, I do find the advice that he gives Carl like genuinely sweet, and I do think Sawyer was coming from a good place in this episode. I'm going to give my second MVP point to Atra. Wow! I never want to forget Atra. Uh, I want her to be on our list, and I'm not going to give her a demerit because I have to give my demerits to uh, a Jack. And then uh, my other two LVP points are both going to get piled onto Isabel because <laughs> uh, she sucks. Uh, but Atra doesn't suck. And I, maybe I'm moved by the Biling interview. It's a great interview. Uh, you know, I've just, I really enjoyed that. I just, it's the way that it hit me this time. Yeah. Uh, well, I would also Atra. say that Biling is going to be so happy upon finding out that she has been called an MVP of this lost yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to put that on the list and uh you know she's she's now part of our rankings of the characters and she's going to be in the positive cuz you're not going to give her a demerit. I'm looking at the the list yeah, right now. Yeah, you spoiled yourself. Uh no, yeah. I will not. But I'll I'll we'll finish off the MVPs here. I'm going to continue the Alex redemption tour here. I, I admittedly it was a little tough finding a final uh MVP cuz again some some really unsavory things done this episode. But you know what? Alex does help Jack. She's the one that gives the information to him that ends up having him save Juliet's life and she does serve as a good go between with everything. So I'll toss her a point here. Um, and close out the LVPs for us. All right, I'll throw another point onto Isabel because I agree she's the worst. And uh, I'll throw another point. I'm going to throw my... It's been a while since the others have gotten a point one direction or the other, but I'm going to throw a point the, the uh, demerit the other's way, either because of their just wackadoo uh, you know, penal system or them gawking and staring at Jack in his cage, which is just rather creepy and uncouth. So not a great episode for the others in general. All right, let's settle this thing once and for all, shall we? Roll up the sleeves. Let's hop into the bear Ooh, pit. I have a tattoo. Into the polar bear cages. Yeah, I like your tattoo. Let's talk about the Jack Tattoos episodes. Give the rankings. It's a 1.6 from the listeners. That's not changing. It's a 1.4 from Mike and a 3.0 from me. Is that changing for either of us? Such is the question. Mike, let's start with you. Sure. Uh, where, okay. Where, where are you at? So let's talk about my starting score here. So as I mentioned, going into this, I wasn't sure whether I would enjoy Stranger in a Strange Land more or less than Fire Plus Water, which at this moment is currently my lowest ranked episode at 1.2. And as is indicated by my current score, I enjoyed it more. 
marginally. The thing is, again, it comes down to enjoyment for me. And enjoyment is such a loaded word because there's so many things you can enjoy in a show, including Lost. But what it comes down to for me is Fire Plus Water, I just really did not like watching nearly every facet of it. The only credit I will give to it were the interesting visuals, but between the way Charlie was acting, just the the really negative stuff surrounding the characters, and admittedly, it it touched it hit a nerve with me because it's an episode that featured a young child in a lot of danger many times, and as the father of a young child, that really like got my anxiety peaking. So it's it's an episode that I really did not enjoy watching. Stranger in a Strange Land, there were certainly things that I did not like. I've talked about the things that I hated, and even the things that I liked, I liked and I didn't necessarily love. So that being said, it's a pretty useless and needless episode of Lost. But personally, I would rather chastise an episode that leaves me overall annoyed than an episode that leaves me feeling, I don't know, uh, not feeling useless, but I'd rather dock a negative episode over a useless episode. So I gave Fire Plus Water a 1.2. Stranger in a Strange Land is going to keep that 1.4 for me. I think it is a slightly better episode. It is not close, though. I do feel like this is a fundamental failure of an episode in both concept and execution slash branding, but there's something about Fire Plus Water that just ekes out a more negatively emotional reaction from me as opposed to the general meh-ness of Stranger in a Strange Land. Okay. Um, so for me, um, I had already uh, you know, articulated why this is going to be bare minimum two. So how does it get from a two to a three? Let's see if it does. Let's see if it stays there. Okay. Uh, so my lowest score on the board is a 2.1. That's a drift. I have a drift as the worst episode of Lost. Uh, I have Fire Plus Water slightly higher as a 2.3. I would prefer to watch Stranger in a Strange Land over both of those episodes, mm. for sure. Uh, Adrift is just like, I want to skip it. I want to go from Man of Science, Man of Faith into Orientation, and I want nothing to do with Adrift. Yeah, and, Adrift, and Adrift, is- Adrift gets points in my book because of the the Desmond Locke stuff, and particularly, again, and this speaks to my own unique relationship, the the Michael Walt uh, goodbye scene. is is If you're talking about like historic from my own Mike Bloom historic aspect, that's something at least will keep Adrift adrift over something like Stranger in a Strange Land and Fire Plus Water for me. Totally. And totally fair. Again, very personal stuff. Um, for, for adrift, less so for me. So we're starting to get into the territory then of, of what is it moving past? Uh, whatever the case may be, I have it as a 2.1. I thought I had it as a 2.4. I have it as a 2.1. So that and adrift are the, are the lowest scored episodes of Lost for me. That feels, that feels right. That feels good. That feels pure. Uh, <laughs> that feels great. Then I think we start getting into like season three becomes like the next point of comparison. Um, because we're dealing with a, I, I gave further instructions to 2.6. Um, and I'll take Stranger in a Strange Land over Further Instructions wow. as far as like which one which one would you rather watch? Further Instructions or Stranger in a Strange Land? Further Instructions frustrates me as an episode. Uh the Lock is a pot farmer thing like cracks me up and there's definitely thematic resonance within there and we talked about that stuff. It's still an episode of Lost, so it mm-hmm. deserves to be in the twos. You know on a scale of, you know, 0 to 4.2 for me, nothing should be- uh, fall below a 2 cuz it's the best show of all time. Don't at me. Please do at me. Um <laughs> 
So it, it's going to be at least above a 2.6. I think it's better than further instructions for me. I think that whether or not you like it, that is a totally different question. But it is, uh, I think it is execute, like there is an uncertainty to further instructions in execution that I feel less pointedly in the execution of Stranger in a Strange Land. I think Stranger in a Strange Land is executing what it wants to be in a way that further instructions doesn't really quite know what it should be. Um, mm. even, even if what it wants to be is not very good. Um, then it, this is how I got to the three from the 2.6. Yeah, and this, this is the, like the final leg of the journey here. And so this is, this is where, um, I am, I am up for being talked down. Mm-hmm. Uh, because for me, I put it up against some of these other episodes that I have beyond the 2.6, but not far beyond the 2.6. And that's special is a 2.8 for me. Uh, greater good is a 2.7 for me. Born to run is a 2.8 for me. I think that like, if you gave me a list of lost episodes, uh, and it was special, greater good, born to run and stranger in a strange land, put one of these episodes on right now. I think I'd put on stranger in a strange land. Wow. Like I'd not, not necessarily because I like it more, but because I'd be more interested to watch it. Like I think I I think I get something new out of Lost when I watch Stranger in a Strange Land. Uh like time has to pass, <laughs> you know? Uh I have to like some distance has to occur. But then I watch the episode and like sometimes like it's just so bad and then sometimes like there's things in it that are decent. It's never a great episode of Lost, but it always like engages me in in a way that like I don't know. It engages me, I guess, mm-hmm. is is what it is. Well, I think it's it's also helped by the fact that there is more interest in it because it's like, oh, was it really that bad? Whereas I think stuff like Special and Greater Good and Born to Run are not great episodes, though I think I actually enjoyed the Greater Good more than you did. But they're more like forgotten amongst the chaff of episodes that are OK to not great. Whereas Stranger in Strangeland sticks out amongst Lost fans as the worst episode of all time. And then what got Stranger in a Strange Land up to the flat three is I turned that question over to season three. Uh, And for season three, there's the glass ballerina and every man for himself, which I gave threes. Uh, And if you asked me, watch one of these episodes, glass ballerina, every man for himself or Stranger in a Strange Land, I think I'd still pick Stranger in a Strange Land. Oh, that's wow. That's bold. Just because I'd be interested. I'd be interested to check it out. But not because it's like a better episode, but because it would engage me more, I think. Um, But then if I turn that question to season two, some of the episodes that we're talking about that have a flat three, uh, the only one that has a flat three for me actually is Abandoned, the the Shannon Mm -hmm. departure, Um, which I look at that and I'm like, I think I'm low on Abandoned. Um, Abandoned is an episode I would rather watch over a stranger in a strange land. Uh, I would sooner turn to Abandoned. Yeah, I, I think Abandoned has this weird thing where, like, if you're talking about the unevenness of something like Further Instructions, I think Abandoned's a little uneven because I, I remember, like, the, the on island stuff. The Tailey stuff is interesting with the, hey, that's another Cindy reference. Uh, but, but Maggie Grace is great. And, like, if she'd been given more of a chance, like, that character could have been something. Yeah, I just think the on island stuff with Shannon, of course, un- uh, besides her death, was, like, a little all over the place literally she was going all over the place but i could see i would agree that i'd been definitely it's a it's a bar easily cleared but i would rather watch abandoned and stranger in a strange land so here so here's where we are now because that that is that is where i'm coming to 
is that like I think abandon's a better episode. And so if now I'm like saying that like that's a that's a metric for me here in landing stranger in a strange land. Then I can't have it at the same quality as abandon. And if I look in the mirror, uh, like I can't say with a straight face that it's a better episode than every man for himself. Uh, it's not a better episode than the glass ballerina. So it can't be a three. It really it really can't be. Is it a better episode than Born to Run or Special? I don't I don't think so. Uh, I don't. It's not. Uh, the special has some really. The flashback is is real a really powerful story. Mm-hmm. Um, Born to Run has Doctor Arst, and there's like this ticking time bomb element to it. And it's sort of classic, and it's like the, the calm before the storm. Even though like it's not that calm at all before we get into Exodus. Yeah, the, it's a the wind's episode. coming up. They have the leave tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so then it, that the problem that is it better than the greater good? It's not. It's not better than the greater good. It's definitely not better than the greater good. Greater yeah, good's a better it has episode. The yeah, it's got the Boonerol, and it's got a great Naveen Andrews performance. It's got great Maggie Grace performance, even if like some of it's a little ridiculous. So that means I'm I'm at further instructions again, <laughs> uh, which is a two point six for me. But I think that's I I want to make the statement that I think Stranger in a Strange Land is better than Further Instructions, at least. Uh, I'm going to give Stranger in a Strange Land a 2.61. Okay, that's that's a good... It's like a very... It's your form of protest, right? You know, <laughs> I'm going to give it a 2.61. It's going to give it a 1.85 and overall. It, and does that mean... Has Stranger in a Strange Land become the worst episode of Lost according to Down the Hatch? According to Down the Hatch, the worst episode of all of Lost is Stranger in a Strange Land. Ah, uh, fire is, plus water it, is B is wiping some sweat off right now. It is no longer the leader in the clubhouse. It is not a good episode of Lost. It is, you know, I don't have a ton that are in the twos. I think the thing is, is like, I'm not revising my scores. And if I could, like, if I could do that retroactive adjustment, I would, I would knock a few down lower uh, to, like, make this make more sense. Like, I right. think... You know, I, I would have Stranger in a Strange Land lower. I'd have further instructions lower. Like, you know, maybe I would go to like high ones, even though I don't like that. Uh, or maybe like do them like by like fractions of of of, uh, of points. But I, I I didn't. I don't. I got to work with what I've done. Uh, Whatever so happened, go- happened. And so I'm going to put it at a 2.61 now. Uh, I don't think it's the worst episode of Lost. I think it is among the worst episodes yeah. of Lost. I, I think that's I think that's something that we're sort of settling. Like I think our theory right now, as we were coming to this episode, and the question was, is this the worst episode of Lost? We can say no, but we can say it is like A instead of the right. Like yeah. it's certainly, we're not yes. saying it's out of the bottom 100%. tier, but I think it is definitely amongst. I mean, it's my second least favorite episode. I think it's your like fifth. Least yeah, favorite episode at this it's point. Very close to the to the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, um, it, it, it's not very well done. But I think it goes to prove this point that you mentioned before. A couple things actually. First, that you know any episode of Lost has some redeeming quality in it. So nothing's ever going to get a straight zero from us. And also, like I think we're still trying to figure out this rubric, even though I have a literal rubric. And I do think inherent enjoyment of an episode is sort of that X factor that I think, has, especially when you rank episodes next to one another, is going to affect how you place things. And I will say, you know, I totally agree that Stranger with a Strange Land is not the least enjoyable episode of Lost that I have watched. Again, Fire Plus Water had a profound negative effect on me in that regard, and that is going to earn it the bottom spot in my book moving forward. And you had a very similar experience 
experience with several other episodes over Stranger in a Strange Land. And so I, I think that's a good sort of thing. As the, as the episodes grow larger and count, I think that's a good question we can keep in mind personally as we rate these episodes. I think I like to look at Stranger in a Strange Land and, like, for me, this is just my – this whole thing, the tapestry of Lost is my favorite story ever told. Mm. I've never obsessed over anything the way that I've obsessed over Lost. Nothing. Uh, in terms of fiction, uh, you know, like it is, it is my thing. It's, it, you know, it's my constant. And I take issue with the idea that there's a, that there's like an, a, like an obvious horrific episode of Lost. I don't think it exists. And if it's Stranger in a Strange Land and this is the worst episode of Lost, then I would take the worst episode of Lost over the best episode of a lot of different shows. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not good. And there's some problematic stuff in here, um, but the way that I interact with the characters in my stupid frickin' brain is I, I incorporate that into the tapestry, and it makes me think about people, and it makes me think about um, who we are as as humans and what we're doing in the world and um, what we can do that can help people and what we do that hurts people. And why do we do that? It's because we're hurting, too. And because saying that you're in pain makes you sound like uh, a, a weakling in like, the right. eyes of society, because that's where we are. Yeah, because essentially the that. world is punching you on the arm, but you're supposed to cowboy <laughs> up, right? Yeah, I reject that. I reject that. I think being weak and, and being open about being weak is being strong uh you know and like there's nothing strong about pretending like there's no such thing as as adversity uh and lost engages me on those fronts all the time um so every episode of lost contains that i think like even in fire plus water we encountered some of that stuff i didn't rate fire plus water as the lowest i really thought i would uh and i have episodes beneath it um so every episode of lost for me is at least a two and I think that that's, I think that's what I wanted to articulate here. Like, obviously, we, we've gone really long on Stranger in a Strange Land. Uh, and I think that that's because, like, it is, it is a vehicle with which to talk about, like, all of the reasons, Mike, why we're doing this podcast at all. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it also is a great meta breakdown of, like, what do we like about Lost? What do we not like yeah. about Lost? Like, what do we value in an episode of Lost? Because it's one of those things of you don't know what you've got till it's gone. In a certain perspective, when an episode is missing those facets, it makes you realize, oh, yeah, I really miss that. Or you realize, for instance, that the performances of the actors might honestly be the most stable part of the entire damn series. That no matter and what Giacchino's score, yeah, like, exactly. there are yeah. constants. There are constants yeah. that exist in this episode. I also wonder, you know, you talked about this with your rating of um, of Live Together, Die Alone. I do wonder how much your basis on this also can take into account stuff that was going on outside of the show as well right like knowing what was happening at the time not to say that the handcuffs are necessarily on from like a network perspective but knowing that this was written by a writer's room that was essentially not necessarily jack shepherd in thailand but kind of symbolically like at the end of their ropes kind of being like we don't know what we're doing we're trying to find purpose here it's a really interesting episode because this is the moment at the end of the second act of every film where the hero picks himself back up, dusts himself off, and has a plan for the end game. And that's what they find here. So I do wonder if that helps you, again, going back to your historical argument, look on the episode with sort of a, a different perspective from what is an objectively not good episode of Lost, but an important episode of Lost, certainly. Uh, two and a half plus hours on Stranger to Strange Land, <laughs> Who would have thunk it? 
I mean, that's not so far off the bingo card. I think that makes some sense. Uh, this is fun. It was fun, fun to chew on it. This is, this is, yeah, this was really, really great. And, you know, again, we're still accepting of people also writing in their arguments for Stranger in a Strange Land, either for or against. We're also still accepting of time travel theories as well. Uh, cause, oh, we did, we did get one that came through that I, that I did oh, yeah, want to yeah, read, no, read, it off, read uh, off. about, uh, from, from flashes before your eyes. Uh, this came in from Bob Hasty. He said, I had a theory about why the writers chose to make Desmond naked after uh, turning the, the main question key. we've all wanted to know. Uh, Bob writes, this will be in reference to Damon being a fan and eventual writer of Watchmen. Before HBO's Watchmen aired, Lindelof had written to fans about his respect for the story, how he couldn't wait for each comic to be published back in 1986. I watched the show. Now I'm reading the comics and in the Watchmen comics, Dr. Jonathan Osterman has an accident and is disintegrated physically. The comic says, despite the absence of a body, a form of electromagnetic pattern resembling consciousness survived and was able in time to rebuild an approximation of the body it had lost. Of course, we know that John became Dr. Manhattan in his first reappearances in naked form uh, and Dr. Manhattan's consciousness is unfixed in time from that point forward. So could this, with Desmond being naked, be Damon's homage to Dr. Manhattan? Like Dr. Manhattan, Desmond's consciousness is able to randomly travel through time after an incident. Could we theorize that Desmond was also disintegrated physically immediately after turning the failsafe key and that he returned naked after being physically rebuilt i'm at least glad that desmond didn't reappear naked with blue skin because that would have been really weird only if desmond has there's a deleted scene where desmond leaves a watch outside the hatch he's like <laughs> oh i gotta go back and get my watch uh yeah i think we'll have a lot of time travel stuff to talk about on the podcast forever now uh i loved that i thought that was great yeah. i think the the thing against it is uh he gets zapped with all that electromagnetic energy in the final season he's still wearing that stupid red shirt <laughs> Exactly. And, and also, he does not get zapped to Mars, or he does not settle down on Mars. Not uh, that we know. Not that we know. In the sideways of. universe, so. Not, not that we know of. Um, Mike Bloom, that is Stranger in a Strange Land. Coming up next, one of my personal all-time favorite episodes of the show that I know is a very subjective thing. I'm going to be giving it a perfect score. I'm already resigned to the fact that you will not, which is totally fine. Uh, Trisha Tanaka is dead. Yeah. Coming up. On the podcast. This is going to be a really interesting one. We go from interesting episode to interesting episode, really like three episodes in a row. Two of the episodes that certainly at the time consensus was like, these episodes suck. Yeah. Uh, And Trisha Tanaka is the one that I think has had like a more popular image rehab. Because this is the perfect example of if you look at Lost through the lens of character rather than through the lens of plot then episodes like Trisha Tanaka's Dead plays much better. Because yeah. I remember yeah. in one of the first podcasts we ever did, Josh, when you and myself <laughs> and Antonio Mazzaro and AJ Massey, yeah. we did a weird ranking system with the episodes where like we would go around the horn and then throw an episode on the table. I think I put Trisha Tanaka's Dead in like right in the middle. And my opinion wasn't even that the episode was bad. I'm like, it's okay. Like Hurley and his dad, his da- Hurley's dad comes back and helps build a car, and then he fixes up this Dharma van. It's fine, and you were belligerent beyond all belief. We eventually did come back so together mad. over our love of Exodus. So this is an episode I am. I have not gone back to the episode since that discussion. I'm very excited to because I have been very high on nearly all Hurley episodes. Looking at you, Dave. Uh, just considering my own personal association with the character in terms of um, the mental health of it all, and now I'm very excited to see you know for Charlie on a different path now that he sort of has an end date and just like a really fun hangout in the jungle where Sawyer's teaching Jin English. It feels like it's been a while, especially in season three where we have really gotten that. Yeah, and this I think is, is going to be a good time. 
this is going to an episode that I think it, it's an episode that feels classic. And like, I think especially at this moment, season three, where we haven't had a lot of what's coming up in Trisha Tanaka, I feel like we're really going to appreciate it. Um, so I'm really excited for it, whether or not it ranks perfectly for you or anyone else. It does for me. This is one of my all time favorite episodes. This episode makes me feel, despite the title's name, very alive. So I'm really pumped to talk about Trisha Tanaka. You can get your feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You could tweet at us at postshowrecaps caps at round howard at a mike bloom type you can also ask us questions in the discord yeah. for post show recaps patrons that is now open should you choose to subscribe to the post show recaps patreon program patreon.com slash post show recaps mike we had uh 16 people join the patreon over the course of this recording wow. uh actually 17 people it would have been cool if it was a lost number uh but yeah uh it's, it's, this is day one that we're recording this and we're really really thrilled with the turnout so far if you want to get on board we would love to have you it's going to be an interactive community in the discord um that's at the ten dollar level at the five dollar level you get access to our patron only feed um and that's going to be chock full of goodness and maybe some fun lost shenanigans along the way at some point in time uh so if if you have it in you if you have any desire to do it to support podcasts like this one making it possible for mike and i to spend nearly three hours of our week talking about stranger in a strange land and related episodes of lost (laughs) Um, we would appreciate it so much we thank you so much for anyone who is able to do it and beyond that we just thank anybody who's listening to the podcast anyway uh, for you know the the interactivity uh, on Down the Hatch specifically has been such a joy over the last year plus for me in an episode that really questions communities and the ways that they operate (laughs) like this is an awesome this is an incredible community it's the community that freaking donated money so I get a tattoo on my body like this this is an incredible group of people we are so happy to walk among you yeah absolutely all right we're gonna get out of here we'll be back next week uh listen to jurassic park the podcast if you haven't oh, done yeah, so there's already. some really goofy stuff there there's some stuff some stuff goes down there uh we've got plenty more uh everything is super has oh. captain marvel this week it's kevin mahadeo and myself speaking of uh, space star trek is zooming in i know next yes. week jessica Lisa and i are going to be doing a wrap-up of lower decks and a preview of our disco coverage which should go weekly starting two weeks from now yeah, Walking Dead is back. We're going to have Walking Dead podcasts coming your way. So lots happening here on Post Show Recaps. And all of that's for free. All of that is for free. So you don't have to do a single thing. And all of that is still coming your way if you want it. Until next time, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Four, eight,